And now, it's a bat-around reunion as we introduce a man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He's forgotten more about baseball than most of us will ever know, and he's back in the captain's chair today. He is Stan, the fan, Charles. Thank you very much, Paul Valley. How are you on this uh, Wednesday, January the 12th? How are you, my friend? Cold, my man, cold. How are you? It is. Uh, it was quite a shock to the system to get out there this morning as early as... Uh, this is early for me, you know, yeah. first of all. I had to go to bed earlier, had to get up earlier, uh, but I got a good night's sleep and I'm ready to roll. Big day for me today. You know, a, a big day usually is preparing for one Zoom or running my football pool or walking, that's a big day for me. Today, I, I, Glenn needed me to sit in today, and I'm happy to help him. Uh, Glenn has a wake he's going to down in Richmond, Virginia. And then he's got to scurry back, too. We both have an appointment at 2 o'clock today to talk to Gary Williams. Oh, very and revisit nice. revisit the 20th uh well, not revisit. It is the 20th anniversary this March uh, since Gary led the Terrapins to their one and only uh, NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. And we'll look forward to chatting with him. And that will be in a future Press Box hard copy edition and online. But uh, looking forward to that chat. I've had to do my homework on that a little bit. And then tonight, um, I'm solo flying on my Zoom and I've got the owner of the Baltimore Blast on, Ed Hale. And I'll be anxious to talk to him at 7.15 this evening. And you can see that on Facebook Live and YouTube. Or just uh, check out the website tomorrow under video. And you'll see the interview with Ed Hale from today. But uh, first and foremost, we got a show to do here for the next couple hours. And, uh, Paul, first of all, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. And uh, first time really officially on the air to congratulate you on uh, becoming producer of the Glenn Clark Show. Well, thank you. I, cer I certainly appreciate it. And while we're talking about producer things, my mom pointed out, and I already knew, we are running a new system here. Um, so it's better for video, better for audio, better for everything in general. There's still some things that we don't know how to do, and one of those things is changing the name over Stan's head. Um, so it's so I'm it, Glenn. He looks like he he looks like Glenn in name today, but we assure you this is Stan the fan, Charles, All and right. hopefully we figure out how to change that. So All right. Apologies. That, no, that's not the 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 world won't come to an end by that. I think people will know I'm not Glenn Clark. Absolutely. You know. uh, anyway. Uh, you've uh, worked on the show today. Bo Smolka is going to join us in about 15 minutes. Yes, sir. Bo, who is our football writer, our beat reporter for the Baltimore Ravens, will talk about what some would say was a collapse from 8-3 and three to finish 8-9. and nine. It's really ironic because for many years I thought that John Harbaugh should have been fired as Baltimore Ravens football coach. This is going back about four years ago. In that range, I was not a big proponent of his staying on. But I have to tell you, the more I watch John Harbaugh coach football, the more impressed I am with him. Not as an X's and O's coach, and I get a lot of, I hear all the complaints that he doesn't make adjustments, his game t uh, clock management isn't ideal. But I will tell you one thing. Uh, and, and, of course, we were disappointed the Ravens uh, finished on a six-game losing streak and missed the playoffs. 
but his team fought. The only game they were really blown out this year, twice, were by the Cincinnati Bengals. His teams normally do, and, uh, and in this day and age, I think if your team is fighting and playing hard for you, there's a lot to that. Uh, and a team that was as depleted as the 21-22 the, uh, Baltimore Ravens were through injury and COVID and then, of course, Lamar's injury, a team that fought as hard as it did, that stands for an awful lot in this day and age when you look at some of the teams like the New York Giants, you know, who, who clearly gave up about five weeks ago mm-hmm. when their quarterback, Jan- Daniel Jones, went down. And, of course, Joe Judge was let go yesterday. Yes. So Bo Smolka is going to be on with us to talk about what's next for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, how he saw that end of that season. I mean, you take away the Cincinnati game – Five of those losses were by about a total of ten points, I think. Yeah, they had, they had them up. three one point losses in that in that last six game stretch. Another one by two points. Yeah, um, they lose the final game by three. Uh, you look at that at, at, at this season, and so we were talk. We did a lot of Super Bowl talk the first half of the year, and even then, I thought it was hard to buy into that because this team was so depleted in every facet. But they still had Lamar Jackson. When Lamar Jackson got hurt, that that was basically it. Now, look, Tyler Huntley came in and he he performed admirably, but he's a backup quarterback in the NFL. Hopefully, he, he showed the the last couple weeks why the old adage that the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy in any NFL city. Uh, but you know, I mean, I had people coming up to me saying, "Hey, this is great. They got to get rid of Lamar. No, they ridiculous. can trade him, and now we got Huntley." Uh, it's a big step backwards. Yes, I'd like to have Tyler Huntley back next year in that number two role. He proved over a short period of time he can he can engineer a game and not single-handedly blow it, you know, uh, and there's something to that. But his accuracy on throwing the football and some of his decision-making – you know, it, it leaves a little bit to be more than a little bit to be desired. But I have to say that, uh, in my opinion, Paul, playing quarterback in the National Football League, when you uh, let's let's face it, this guy has not really run an offense on the football field in any meaningful way since his college days, and exactly. it's like four or five years later. And he, you know, so when you get out there. This is your first, you know, time hitting with the speed of the game, and you have to amp up, and you got to make decisions in a split second. So I thought he he handled himself pretty darn well. Probably more a passing grade, like a P, a B minus, C plus in that range. But to to say that oh, we should move on from Lamar is absolutely positively uh, ludicrous at this point in time. Well, absolutely, and look. look. He came in, he did everything that the Ravens asked him to do. He kept him in every football game, and, that, and that's to be commended. But it's the little things that you see, these, pa- these out passes uh, to the sticks for a first down where there's too much air under the ball. you got to put yeah, it. The pass, the, both passes that were intercepted to Mark Andrews this week, one of them was like sort of a throw-up in the middle of the field that it just went way too far past Andrews. It sailed. Mm-hmm. And the other one where he should have thrown the ball hard was the one in the end zone. He had him open. He was a split second behind when he should have released the ball, and he chose to sort of float it up 
that needed to be zinged a in strike. there, and Andrews catches that we're ball. Ca- we're, where Andrews catches is at, at yeah. its peak. Yeah. Ab- absolutely, and, yeah. and that's that's a difference. Uh, one of the differences that you see between Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson, I, 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 I firmly believe that if Lamar Jackson plays those last five games, the Ravens are right in the middle of the, of the playoff picture. But yeah. they're on the outside looking in, and it's not when there are people who would lead you to believe that it's a regression of sorts with this football team. I don't know how you can look at a regression when you have 25 guys on IR, and that's not including your MVP quarterback who missed the last five weeks. This is a story of injuries, a story of COVID, which is uh, the main point in a lot of stories these days, unfortunately. And I'm interested to see what the Ravens do in the offseason and if they decide to try and run it back next year and take another shot at the Super Bowl because I think they have the roster to do it. Yeah, I think they're they're pretty close. I I think the other thing that we we have to acknowledge is they do not rush – rush the quarterback and create enough pressure uh, Absolutely to, not. to defend. And they have to improve on that. Uh, after an initial really hot start by the kid from Penn State, uh, Oway, uh, I don't know how many sacks he had for the year, but it wasn't, it, you know, it was a learning season. Uh, and he certainly is a talent. I'm sure he was double teamed on a lot of occasions, mm-hmm. uh, but he's got to figure a way. And they didn't really have a lot else there putting pressure on the quarterback. There's no question still with Brandon Williams in the middle there. They're pretty darn good against the run. But pa- against the pass, you know, the, a good quarterback. Uh, and, again, some of that is, is the attrition due to injuries, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it was certainly a different defense once Marlon Humphreys went down. Absolutely. But he wasn't having a great year. No. You know, neither him – or Lamar, who are your two kind of big Best heavyweights players, yeah. players, neither one of them was having a particularly good year when they got hurt this year. To, to your point about Owe, he had six or seven sacks this year, and he, yeah. he look, after having none his, senior, his last year in college, right. he looked good at the beginning of the year, but teams kind of started to figure him out. And one of the things that I noticed about him very early on was he didn't have a move. It was a straight power rush, and if you were able to sidestep one way or the other, he couldn't get around you. And that's something that he's going to need to develop in the offseason. But I think what would help him develop that is if they had an, uh, two or three weapons that could get after the quarterback. And with, uh, what's his name, Wolf? Uh, you Derek know, Wolf missing, missing the entire missing year. Missing the entire season was certainly not something they were thinking was going to happen. And uh, Campbell was hurt, and Houston was hurt at different times during the season. So it'll be interesting to see how Eric DaCosta addresses that. But right now, anyway, Bo Smoke, our guest at 1020, 11 o'clock, uh, former Terrapin from the era right after the NCAA championship, former Terrapin Travis Garrison, who also played for another legendary coach, Morgan Wooten, down at DeMatha. He will be our guest. He has a podcast called Go Terrapins, and we're going to talk to him about uh, seeing whether he's got any sense of where Damon Evans is going to land with uh, selecting a Terrapin coach to replace um, Mark, Mark Turgeon. Uh, and then at 11.40, our old friend Brittany Giroli, who used to write for MLB.com but has uh, long since left for the Athletic.com, and she's going to talk to us about uh, perhaps that proposal that the owners are bringing to the table today uh, it was very interesting, Paul. I know you follow the baseball negotiations quite a bit, and it was my hope that somehow there was going to be a Christmas Day miracle to deliver a, a, a new agreement or say, yeah. or say, you know, because of COVID, 
we're going to kick this down the road one more year. We're going to stay under this, the, you know, the conditions we are now, get both sides to just agree to that for one more year. But there was no such thing forthcoming, and there were no meetings scheduled. And all of a sudden, the beginning of this week, we heard that the owners were preparing a core economic proposal to bring to the table, but that it probably wouldn't be delivered for two weeks. And then the very next day, it was announced that it was going to be delivered today, Thursday. So, Well, we'll today's Wednesday. It's getting, today's Wednesday. Tomorrow, tomorrow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Quite all right. Um, when you have my my very dubious schedule, you uh, don't have a lot going on. You you forget the days. Anyway, it is Wednesday, January the twelfth. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know about you, Stan, but for me, when I hit January, even if the Ravens are in the playoffs, I start getting that baseball itch. I start getting well, ready. You for and I are of the same. We've got the same orange and black running through our veins. Absolutely, always will, and it's. It, I'm ready for spring training. I'm ready for another baseball season, and we're sitting here kind of twiddling our thumbs because we don't have anything to look forward to. Now, they have these meetings tomorrow, but you really can't get too enthusiastic about it because it's the first proposal since December 1st. Uh, so you look at it and you think to yourself. And that was the, I think that those were the, the meeting that lasted seven minutes. Seven minutes, yeah. yeah. It was a seven-minute meeting. So you look at it and it's like, I doubt that this proposal is going to be the one where, like, yes, the, the players are going to be like, yes, this is what we want. I, I, I look at this as, Stan, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but as soon as they get the arbitration and free agency issue ironed out, everything else, it's going to have a domino effect on everything else. That, I, I think a lot, of say, a lot of people say that the revenue sharing is the biggest issue. I think it's arbitration and free agency. And once the players get what they want or get close to what they want with that, I think that's when you're going to see the ball start rolling a little bit more. Now, we're not going to know that, but I think that internally, if that's what happens first, it'll be a lot easier to iron everything else out. Yeah, and what's really disappointing to me is that the commissioner, you know, and I go back about six, seven months ago when Alex Rodriguez was out front of the group trying to buy the New York Mets, and he said he is actually all for a salary cap in baseball, with the agreement between management and player and the players association that they would work together on creating and sharing other revenue streams that there's really nothing wrong with a salary cap uh, per se but that that there's so much other revenue that they could be working together to create and instead they're they're like a car that's stuck in the mud and they can't figure out how to push it out and I, I just I agree with you. I think the the length of free agency, I mean, free agency has been around now since I think it's 1976, I believe. I, that sounds right. Uh, so that's 20, 26, 46 years, 48 years. I mean, it's time to, you know, bump it a year. You know, take, take it from six years control to five years control. Right. And call it a day, you know, and up the – up the uh, uh, starting salary to players by 200, 250000 and start a floor, you know, while I think the Players Association would want it to be 100 or $120 million that a team had to spend. Mm-hmm. Maybe the number is seventy-five, And you, you incrementally know, get higher. And you incrementally go up, just sort of like in uh, football, the salary cap goes up, that that floor would, over, over each year, nudge up, and maybe peak it at $100 million for 10 years or something like that. But you're talking about pennies on the dollar. And, again, 
with all that's going on in this country, with COVID, with uh, the attacks on voting, with uh, civil rights and all this stuff going on in this country right now, um, to, to see these two sides so incalcitrant, it's, uh, it boggles the mind, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy to me. And you'll, you hear it all the time. It's billionaires fighting with millionaires. I, to, to me, I don't really care that they're, that they're fighting because that's what happens. It, it's, the money is what it is. It's a labor issue. To me, it's how are you unable to get behind closed doors, put egos aside, and come to a compromise on both sides? You're both not going to get everything that you want. So you've got to be able to compromise for the sanctity of the game and for the sake of your fans. Well, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned ego. And part of this is because Tony Clark, the MLB, uh, you know, uh, the head of the Players Association, mm-hmm. former player Tony Clark, he basically got schooled on the last negotiation. He had yeah. just come into the job uh, rather quickly because um, – what was his name? Um, Michael Weiner passed away, who was the players, the head of the Players Association at that time, and we, he he succeeded Donald Fear, and Michael Weiner had a great relationship with Rob Manfred. He had a great relationship with his players, and he was able to always put the ego aside. I think Tony Clark got got you know handled by Rob Manfred on his first negotiation. And there's still bad blood to that because he's been hit hard by his players that he, they didn't like the deal that he came up with six or seven years ago. And Rob Manfred certainly isn't putting his ego aside at all. So. Well, yeah, it, it always seems to me with these labor disputes that the owners come out on the winning end. And there are a lot of people saying that the, the, the players need a win on this. I'm at the point, Stan – and we both went through you went through more strikes than I did but I went through the 94 95 strike I remember looking to see if games I was a kid I remember looking to see if games were won and they weren't they weren't and like it was a disappointment of the day every day for me because I didn't understand what was going on I'm at the at the point now where just figure it out I don't care who wins I don't care who comes away with the most money just figure it out and let's get baseball going because I mean the good news is the, that that strike in '95 um, that ended the the season and canceled the World Series in '95. We have had l- reasonable labor peace since then, absolutely, which is 26 years. Uh, but uh, clearly, these two sides it's it's sad to see. And I, I'm like you, I'm sort of counting the days to spring training. I'm getting the the PR releases and emails from the Orioles that they're announcing when spring training is opening, and I'm sort of like yawning, going, "Right, really? You're you're going to tell me when spring training is going to open when it's not going to open? You know?" Sorry, I was about. That's <laughs> my right. apologies. I was I was uh, I was about to call Bo. Um, Will but you no- call Bo and I'll take over? Do we have a break coming up? Uh, we're gonna do a, we're gonna do our first break after Bo. After Bo, okay. Um, so anyway, let me reset the stage uh, while Paul makes his uh, connections with Bo Smolka, who is the press box and pressboxonline.com beat reporter. Uh, at eleven o'clock, former Maryland Terrapin, former Damatha High grad Travis Garrison joins us. He has a podcast called Go Terrapins. We're gonna look to see if he can give us some insights on who the leading candidates might be to replace Mark Turgeon permanently. It looks as if um, it looks as if Danny Manning uh, so far 
hasn't done nearly enough. You know, he needed to sort of rally this troop and go like win his first seven or eight games to sort of uh, put a uh, put his name in the hat. But uh, we'll talk to him. And then 1140, former MLB.com writer Brittany Giroli. She's now a uh, writer, reporter with TheAthletic.com. So is Bo with us? Yeah, we, we have Bo. Just want to remind everybody that today's show is brought to you by Mobile One Full Synthetic Motor Oil. It helps extend engines to life. You can visit your local Jiffy Lube Service Center and ask for Mobile One. All right. Joining us now is a longtime uh, Ravens beat reporter. He's been with PressBox for about the last six years. PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. He's our friend, Bo Smoko. Bo, Bo, first of all, happy, healthy New Year to you and your family. Everybody okay? Thanks, Dan. Yes, we are for now. Thank you. All right. Um, Bo, you, I, you and I have talked. Uh, we, we're not the best of friends, but we talk enough. I've, I was never the biggest John Harbaugh fan in the world. There were times where I thought it was t- sort of it, it was time for Steve Bashotti to, to kind of cut bait with John Harbaugh. Explain to me why, after a six-in-a-row lost season where we played ourselves out of the playoffs, why am I more bullish on John Harbaugh than I have been in years? I thought he did one of his best coaching jobs this year under extraordinarily difficult circumstances. Well, I think you probably answered it right there, Stan. I mean, I think people recognize that um, the, the hand that this team had to deal with this year was so difficult, and they were competitive in just about every single game. Um, they, you know, and we could argue and we can debate whether they would have won those games when they tried two-point conversions. Yep. It didn't work. Yep. But the bottom line is they played the Green Bay Packers to within one point. They played the Los Angeles Rams to within one point with a backup quarterback in both those games. Um, they, they had to deal with losing their entire running back room before the season started, losing both their Pro Bowl cornerbacks, and basically down to playing backups of backups of backups at cornerback. Um, and Harbaugh, I think, should get credit for holding this team together yeah. and competing the way they did. I'm sure they're all frustrated. I think this organization has to be frustrated because if you were to be rewind to July and they look at the roster they had built and what they had coming into this season with the great luxury in the NFL, which is a franchise quarterback on a rookie deal, they felt they had everything in place to make a legitimate Super Bowl run. And then it all kind of fell apart with injuries. And they, you know, a, a couple of missed opportunities with the two-point play at Pittsburgh glances off Andrew's hands, the missed opportunity of the missed two-point conversion against Green Bay. If they make either one of those, they're probably at least squeaking into the playoffs. But I thought for everything that happened and all the adversity they faced, I thought they just competed all year. I think players wanted to play. I think they drove hard. And I think Harbaugh should get credit for that. So, all of that probably helps um, reflect maybe why you might be more bullish on him. Yep. But overall, I thought he did a good job. You know, if, if you look at, at what you want your NFL coach to be, to me, yeah, I'd love to have the perfect combination like, uh, like Bill Belichick, who is a great game manager, strategist, and also gets his team to play. But I can name 10 or 12 coaches whose teams – yearly kind of collapse around them and they they're the guys that get fired 
I think John Harbaugh, if I have to pick one bucket, I'm going to take the bucket that, that is a coach who gets his team to show up every week to play. And I think John Harbaugh probably does that as well as anybody in the league. I, I agree with you. I mean, this team, like I said, other than the one game at Cincinnati where they were down to literally fifth and sixth stringers playing defensive back and, and a starting quarterback who, by the way, wasn't with the team 10 days earlier, um, this team competed. They competed to the end in all these games. And I, you know, and I think there is also something to be said for continuity. And we heard, in, you know, Steve Bashotti doesn't speak to us much anymore. Yeah. But one of the last times he talked, he made very clear that he thinks continuity matters uh, from the front office down to the coaching staff. And I, again, when you see these teams turn over their coach every second or third year, and turn over the GM every second or third year, and start over again, and start over again, and start over again, um, John, Steve Bashotti wants the exact opposite of that. And I think he feels like he's got the right guy in place. And so um, I, I just think that this year Harbaugh did a, did a really good job in really tough situation. Bo, you're talking about the coaching staff, and you mentioned all the injuries, and you can't talk about this season without mentioning the, mentioning the, the injuries. However, fans seem to – a lot of fans are clamoring for Greg Roman's head, seeming to forget that they had no O-line and no running game and didn't have Lamar the last five weeks of, this, of the season – I'm inclined to believe that the Ravens run it back, so to speak, in 2022, but John Harbaugh has yet to speak since the finale. Do you anticipate any sweeping changes with this organization this offseason? I personally, excuse me, I personally uh, would be inclined to think he will run it back, if you want to say that. I'd be, I think he is going to uh, bring the coordinators back. I haven't heard that from him yet, um, but I think they look at it and say, you know what? What what could we do here? When we lost the court, we lost our quarterback for four or five games. We offensive line was kind of a mess after Ronnie Stanley got hurt, and and there were missing pieces. They lost the entire running back room, and I I think I think that I think losing J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards had such a huge effect on this team. Yep, no. Question. And I asked Lamar Jackson about that earlier this week, and he, he acknowledged it to some extent, but I just think it changed everything about what they wanted to do on offense because the explosiveness of the running game was just not there when you had to go on the street and pick up Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray, who they, you know, they, they provided what they did, but they were not the running game that the Ravens had with Edwards and Dobbins. And I think Losing Edward, Edwards and losing Dobbins and Edwards, I think, really affected everything about what they could do on offense. You know, they, they let's face it. I think Greg Roman did have some situations that I think merit scrutiny. Um, the bottom line is they couldn't execute when they needed a two-point play, and and to some extent, that's on Roman. He's the one making those calls. Um, I think that they really struggled to face blitz pressure. From the from the game from the Miami game on, they didn't seem to have an answer for heavy heavy zero cover blitz pressure, and those are on Roman to answer to. But when you look at all the shortcomings they had to deal with, and I think some of it falls on Eric DaCosta, who clearly made the gamble that he could trade Orlando Brown because Ronnie Stanley was coming back healthy, right? And the yep. worst case scenario was that Stanley would not be back healthy, and then you've lost both Stanley and Brown, mm -hmm. and now what? Well, you know what? It became now what? And they had to scramble the entire season. They signed Villanueva, who was not—he uh, was clearly at the end of his career. 
Um, they scrambled to find a right tackle, and Patrick McCarry played well out there in a bit of a surprise because he was not viewed as a tackle. But all I'm saying is there's a lot of things that go into it, and Roman will certainly continue to be the lightning rod. He always will be when the offense doesn't work as well as you want it to. But I think if it were me, I mean, if it were me, I would be surprised if John Harbaugh makes changes there. I want to ask you about another area, and and I, I'm I'm giving away my feelings on this up front. I think it's it, to me it's kind of ludicrous. But I've had a couple smart people I won't mention their names come to me, and they're not they're not sports media, but they I, I respect their opinions. They said to me. The Ravens have so many injuries. They've got to do something with strength and conditioning. And I'm, these people are really serious. And I'm saying, I'm saying to them and to myself, I said, how would strength and conditioning have helped Gus Edwards or Dobbins or the Ronnie Stanley or Marcus Peters or Marlon Humphrey? None of the conditioning. It's football. These injuries are going to happen. Do you think there's any chance in the world that they think that they need to sort of look to retool that area at all i mean sure they'll look at it but i would argue or i would point out that you know 2019 the same group had virtually the healthiest team in the right, league right uh and so i think some of that is some of it is just a chance i mean gus edwards and marcus peters went down in non-contact situations in practice uh jk dobbins obviously got hit in a game and and it'll be very interesting to see next year how john harbaugh handles preseason games because Dobbins was clearly not happy that he got hurt in a preseason game, and a lot of fans were irate that he got hurt in a preseason game. And and it's difficult, right, because you want your guys to get a little bit of work, and then you say, well, we might we, we can't risk having them get hurt. And then a week later, Peters and Edwards get hurt, non-contact in practice. It can just happen. Yeah. Um, you know, Deshaun Elliott tears his uh, – uh, you know, it's, it's an upper arm injury on Marlon Humphrey. It's a knee on Peters. It's – one thing after another, whether it's strength or conditioning, sure, they'll look at how they strength train. They'll yep. look at how they condition. But as I said, it was one of the healthiest teams a couple of years ago, and the methodology probably hasn't changed a whole lot from then to now. We're talking with Bo Smolka, who covers the Ravens for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Paul, go ahead. Um, Look, Bo, the, the, the big, one of the biggest issues is that offensive line, and it kind of all centers around how Ronnie Stanley comes back from this injury if he's able to come back, and we thought that he would be this year. That certainly didn't happen. But you're also looking at Bradley Bozeman walking out the door as a free agent, and the Ravens, since Mike Flynn, le- Mike Flynn uh, left Baltimore, the Ravens haven't had a history of hanging on to their centers. Is there any chance that the Ravens either, A, work out a long-term deal with Bozeman, or B, franchise tag him to keep him around for another season? Uh, I would not expect them to use the franchise tag on him. Um, I think that the franchise tag becomes tricky because, you know, offensive linemen are all in a big basket, and so the franchise tag would be really expensive. Oh, okay. um, I My understanding is that there was some preliminary discussion between Bozeman's camp and the team, and they were pretty far apart on um, contract you know, values and, and numbers. And if they don't, if they don't bridge that gap, then he won't be back. I mean, this is a team that is already tight against the cap and has Lamar Jackson's contract hanging over their head um, and has to make a lot of tough decisions. But I think Bozeman is a, Bozeman's a tough one because he's become a 
absolute pillar in the Baltimore community. Yeah, um, Two-time, two-time uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. He is constantly doing food drives and church functions and in the community. He has been a huge part of this community. But in the end, this team will not kind of – this team won't be long on sentiment. They just aren't, and it's a, it's a business, and they have to decide that we have the money to pay that position and that player when we have these other needs. And I think of that – they will – Ozzie Newsom used to always say it. Eric DaCosta will always also say it, right player, right price. And if the price is not right for Bozeman, they will wish him well and, and he will walk away. And I don't think they will uh, climb that price higher than what they see as a, as a firm top. And if Bozeman's camp won't come down from that, <coughs> and they might not, right? Because as an agent, you're looking to get your player maximum value. And a lot of times when players get to this point, they say, well, let's, let's take a look at free agents, see what's out there. And there might be two or three teams with a lot of cap space that would see, hey, we got a starting caliber center there. Let's we, we can go get him. And now a team offers a lot more than the Ravens, the top of the Ravens line, and and he goes away. And I suspect that's what's going to happen here. Yeah, that's my fear with Bozeman as well. Uh, Bo, I just got a couple quick ones for you, and then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, Lamar Jackson, what is the status of contract? talks or impasse or inability to even connect where do you think the Ravens stand with Bozeman I mean with uh, Lamar Jackson we asked Lamar Jackson that this week he spoke to the media the day after the season ended and he said they haven't had any talks about it right now he's concentrating on getting his foot fixed uh you know dealing with his foot bruise it so uh, you know Lamar Jackson the fascinating thing is if unless something's changed he still has not had an agent which means the team would approach him and whatever small group of people, his mom or whoever else is involved in this decision-making, and it would be up to Jackson and DaCosta directly to deal with this without an agent in place. There were times Jackson has hinted maybe he would hire an agent for this process. As far as I know, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, But Jackson specifically was asked directly that on Monday, and he said they haven't had any talks about it. I think it would be a smart move to do that this summer, um, probably on both sides. I mean, if I'm Lamar Jackson and I'm sitting there having missed four games with a foot injury and I'm looking at the possibility of locking in a lot of money for my long term, yeah. if I'm Jackson, I think I might want to get that thing signed. Yeah, um, I, would, I would totally agree with but, you. But as far as I know, and listening to what Jackson said the other day, there's been no discussions about it yet this summer or All this right. offseason. Got one more quick one for you. I was really impressed with what I saw out of uh, the receiver, Rashad Bateman, okay? Uh, He missed time at the beginning of the season, came in, and I won't say he was dynamic uh, and made gigantic plays, but all of a sudden, just as I felt he got got the, the, the ground steady under his feet, there were about three or four weeks where I don't know whether he was inactive or what, or he just wasn't featured that he never got a ball, and then he came back and was pretty prominent again, even without Lamar really being in the picture throwing the ball. What do you make of Rashad Bateman's season this year? I Well, of course, he started with the groin surgery, so he got he started behind. He missed yep. the first five or six games, but I agree with you. I, I There was a lot that I saw that I like about him, and I wondered, too, why – he kind of vanished at times, and and in fact, the one game, I'm trying to remember which game it was. I think it was 
He the, had the bear game. Cleveland maybe he had four catches on the opening drive and none the rest of the game. I he was targeted after that the whole rest of the game. Right. And and I think part of that, <clears throat> some of it late in the season. I wonder if it wasn't. Uh, you know, you have a backup quarterback in Tyler Huntley. I'm not sure how much he was seeing the field as well. There yeah. were times that he clearly didn't see an open Bateman. He's keyed on Andrews, which you know is another thing. The Ravens are going to have to figure out a way to not make Andrews the one trick yep. po- the one horse in this offense in this passing game. Um, and I know they threw some to Marquise Brown as well, so it wasn't completely Andrews. But I think part of it might have been that um, a backup quarterback just tended to not go through the progressions as much, and he's looking to Andrews, and I think there were times they forced it to Andrews like that interception yep. against Pittsburgh. But I like a lot of what I saw from Bateman. His hands are really good. I would have loved to see about – 15 more just quick slants to Bateman. I, I always thought, uh, even starting with that Dolphins game, I thought when they're going to run that cover zero blitz and they're going to come after you, it, why not the quick slant to Bateman? Where's yeah. that play? Yeah. Um, I think that's a play that could work a lot of times. And everything that I saw from him showed me he's going to handle He has terrific hands to catch anything. So All right. it was kind of an incomplete season for him because yep. it started late and there were times he did disappear. But, I agree with you. I think there's a lot to like about him. I think he's got a whole lot of upside. Bo Smoka, he writes for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. He sounds like he's ready to move into the offensive coordinator's position. Bo, thanks a million for coming on today. All right, you bet, Stan. Take care. Talk to you. Happy, healthy New Year. That was Bo Smolka joining us live on the show today. Just want to remind you, sports fans, that the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. You can bet on every sport with self-service kiosk. That's right, self-service kiosk. So if you want to sneak in there and place a bet on Duke or you want to bet against Maryland. How about the, N- how about the NBA playoffs? This w- I mean, the NFL playoffs this week. Absolutely. Yep. You, you want to go in there and place a bet on the Steelers? We're not going to judge you because we're not going to know with those self-service kiosks. And you can watch all the action from the best seat in the house. When we come back, we're going to get into a little bit of uh, Maryland Terrapins basketball and talk about the head, searching co- the head coaching search with former Terp Travis Garrison. That after the break. That first sip. That first bite. Mmm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The latest issue of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue on the cover. We celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com help.org need to hone your computer skills to boost your career or maybe you want an it certification ccbc continuing education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field and it's all tuition free from the basics to specialized training we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity, and so much more it's your choice it's your career Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. Window Depot Baltimore provides the highest quality Pro-Via windows, doors, and siding for all budgets. The best is finally affordable. Call them today for a free in-home consultation at 410-941-3499. They also offer Zoom and FaceTime consultations in an effort to practice social distancing. A proud sponsor of the Tyus Bowser Show, you can find out more at windowdepotbaltimore.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you miss anything, don't forget that you can find whole shows later on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon Podcast. It's Glenn Clark Radio. All right, we are back here live on Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Paul Valley, and joining me in place of Glenn today is Stan the Fan. Charles and Stan, there was something that we wanted to talk about today, uh, and that's the news that the Orioles have decided to move back their fencing from the left field corner out to the bullpen uh, by as much as 30 feet in some areas, and they also want to raise the height of that wall from 7 feet to 12 feet. And this is after they did extensive research because Camden Yards has been the home the home to the most home runs in baseball since 1992 because of that short that that short fence and the well, short power I'm, I'm alley I'm going to take a little bit of exception at that notion I'd, I'd say that it it's certainly a contributing factor the dimensions of Camden Yards but wouldn't you think that uh, if the Orioles had like a top tier pitching staff that they might give up less home runs. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the Orioles that, that's have the argument. A, a, yeah, just an absolutely horrific uh, pitching staff now going on each of the years that we've been under Mike Elias. He's been unable to deliver any type of pitching uh, that that is really major league caliber. Now, I'm not against this because I think you know when you're talking about attracting, you know, like a, a free agent pitcher if he's out there deciding between pitching in Seattle and Baltimore, he's going to say, geez, if I'm only being offered a one- or two-year deal in Baltimore, why would I want to go there when the chances are that my numbers are not going to be as pristine as they might be in a safer park to pitch in? There's no question about that. But I think this has as much to do the fact that uh, the, the fact that, as, as Ruiz notes, he, I'm quoting now from the MLB.com story by Mark Polachek. Uh, as Ruiz notes, Camden Yards has allowed the most home runs, 5,911 of any ballpark in the majors since 
since 1992. I would also maintain that from 1997 to 2011, we had just an absolute horrific run of pitching staffs, and now you throw in these last three years, the pitching staffs, I'd say that that's a good chunk. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it would be down to 4,000 home runs, but I think it might be more like 5,300, 5,200. I'd like to see that compared with other teams. Well, yeah, certainly. The, the Orioles had a 14-year run of losing uh, in there. And, 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 and terrible uh, pitching. And terrible pitching, and then we have more of the same now for the last four seasons. So you're, you're not wrong in, in that aspect. And that's been kind of the running joke since last night when this announcement was made that, well, the Orioles, this, Orioles pitching is so bad that they just decide they're going to push their fences back. When I first heard this, the first thought that went through my mind is what you already alluded to, and that's attracting free agent pitchers. To me, this is one of those steps where it's like, look, the argument, and Dan Connolly has made this argument a ton of times for the athletic, free agent pitchers aren't coming here because they don't want to pitch in a place that's gonna get, where they're going to give up a bunch of home runs. They want to be able to put up better numbers. And to me, pushing that fence back and raising, it, raising the wall higher just makes this a, a more attractive area uh, for, for, for starting uh, pitching. I think it's also there's two things going on here. I think you know the the ball club. Uh, as a matter of fact, ironically, both ball clubs, the the football team and the baseball team, are in the process of renegotiating leases. Yeah. And I think the Orioles, while they don't want to change the flavor of Camden Yards, I think the 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 idea that we're ever going to get back to packing that place nightly with 45 46 they never get people. back to 3 million fans they're not they're not but they can get 2.5 yeah when they're competitive and that's in this day and age that's plenty of money uh, that you bring in the coffers there it's a huge difference between 770,000 and 2.5 so you don't worry about 2.5 to 3.5 because that's probably not happening. Yeah. Right. If they get back to being a really, really good team, we might go, geez, we could use 2,000 more seats. They'll figure that out to, mm-hmm. to, sell, to get more seats in there. But I think this has almost as much to do with the overall maybe architecture of how they want the, the stadium to look and what seats are the most important. And I think those seats in the you know right over the left fielder's shoulder – aren't that valuable a real estate right now, and it might do more like another deck out there or something different uh, that they think will be more catchy with the fans. Well, and, and I'm glad that you bring that up, Stan, because I've long been saying that the Orioles need an open concourse in that stadium. If you go to get concessions, you can't see the game unless you're watching it on the TV, and depending on what part of the stadium you're in, the glare, you can't see the TV anyway. Yeah. Uh, they, they need to figure out a way to make the, the field visible uh, and there should be, in a major league stadium, there should be no obstructed view uh, seats, in my opinion. So the seats where you're, you're always going to have the seats where you're behind the foul pole, and that's kind of an issue. But the seats in right field, where if you're up, if you're next to that, that out of town scoreboard and you're a few rows up, you can't see right field. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be a thing. And hopefully, this is the beginning of those kinds of res- re- renovations. Because I also think that look, and we can we're not going to get into the whole mass and dispute and the whole thing with Major League Baseball. But I also think that one of the reasons that the Orioles haven't gotten the, the Camden Yards hasn't hosted an All Star game in 30 years is the fact that while the stadium is beautiful and it has a great backdrop, it's a little bit outdated. Agreed. 
agreed. It, it needs, it, you know, it needs. Uh, I, I don't think that, it, that we haven't gotten an all-star game because it's outdated. I, I think, think that, that clear, goes into it. I think it's clearly the part and parcel of the uh, Masson dispute. I don't think there's any question about it that Rob Manfred is holding that out. And as soon as that somehow that dispute gets settled, I think the Orioles within two or three years would have an all-star game for the first time since 1993. Um, our next guest is going to be Travis Garrison. He's coming up at 11 o'clock. Um, Paul, we had an interesting conversation just now with uh, Bo Smolka. Uh, some of the points you, you take out of that interview? Um, some of the things I take out of that is, look, the, the Ravens, they have a talented roster. They, they do, and this is a roster. They come back healthy next year. They have a legitimate shot to make a, 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 a serious Super Bowl run. But just like any other team in the NFL, they do have questions. And we talked about Bradley Bozeman. Is he going to be able to it's come back? And, I mean, it, the way Bo makes it sound, it's not really a question mark. It's that he's going to go because yeah, there's going to be other teams. And I think that would be – I just wish there had been a way they were maybe more proactive and had signed him two or three, two years ago to some type of extension before he developed into the player he's developed into because he is, as Bo said, he's a pillar in the community. Well, yeah, and, and it's, it's unfortunate. If he had been playing center two, three years ago instead of playing left guard, there, that could have been something that maybe they could have addressed and bought out some, some years from him. Um, but now it's an issue where as much of a pillar as he is, can you really, especially when you have – what is it, $20 million a year almost in your left tackle and you're not sure if he's going to play or not? It, it, it's, it's a serious question, and, and honestly, like you said, Bo kind of took the question out of it. It seems likely that he's going to walk. Hopefully the Ravens can find somebody else. Hopefully it's Tristan Colon-Castillo or somebody else, yeah. or maybe they draft somebody. Another interesting name, to, well, two interesting names to think about there are Pat Ricard, who is also a free agent this, this offseason. The Ravens, look, he came into the league as a defensive end and became an all-pro uh, caliber fullback. A lot of teams in the NFL don't use a fullback. The Ravens like to use that because they run the ball more than most teams. This is a situation where I don't think Ricard is back unless he signs a team-friendly deal. I think that the Ravens look at that and say, look, we made him a fullback. We can do that with somebody else. Yeah. Um, and then you look at Marcus Peters. Uh, Marcus Peters, if his cap hit is what it is, He's not back unless he agrees to restructure. You're looking at $15.5 million cap hit in 2022, or if they cut him, it's a $5.5 million cap hit. The math is there to figure out that's probably what's going to happen unless he agrees to restructure. Uh, we've talked about it on this show, and Glenn seems to think that Peters would be the kind of player, given his time here, given how much he loves this organization, that he would be willing to restructure. What are your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm not uh, that familiar with that situation, to be quite honest with you. Fair I mean, enough. I mean, he's a he's definitely a cornerstone player. Uh, and when you talk about the injuries, you know, the Ravens had five decimating injuries: the two running backs, the two cornerbacks, and Ronnie Stanley. Mm -hmm. Those were really, you know, you lose one of those guys, and it's a lot. And the Ravens lost five of them. I, you know, I'm never that conversant on how that cap works. Um, but I do know that Marcus Peters does like playing for the Baltimore Ravens. He likes playing for Wink Martindale. He, so he's a possibility to stay, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Wink, Wink Martindale. Um, what people aren't really talking we've been talking about the pass rush, but nobody talks about Wink Martindale the way that they talk about Greg Roman because Wink Martindale generally has his team ready to play and generally has his defense in the top 10 uh, in rankings. But. The, 
Two out of the last three years, the Ravens have been in the 20s in sacks. And he said before during this past offseason that they don't emphasize sacks here. Uh, now, you look, you look at the fact that three-fourths of your starting secondary was lost for the season at different points this year, um, which means that you're not covering as well, which means you, your, your pass rushers don't have as much time to get to the quarterback. But even before that, they weren't lighting up the, 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 the well, sack column. The other thing they, they didn't light up the uh, column light on was uh, takeaways. Yeah, and that, this, this is a second, second yeah. straight year where yeah. they're not taking the ball away. Yeah. Um, I'm that, not saying That's that, the kind of thing, the takeaway issue, either protecting the ball or taking the ball away, seems to be that when you make that a training camp objective as a team and you get them to rally around that idea, for a couple of years, teams start to up their takeaways or protect the ball better, whichever side you need to do. Mm -hmm. It's clear that the Ravens have to do a better job at getting some turnovers, and they didn't do a good job this year on that at all. Well, yeah, and you look at who they have to force the turnovers. Last year, uh, Marlon Humphrey had eight forced fumbles. Uh, this year, I don't think he had any uh, because people know that that fruit punch, as he likes to call it, they know it's coming at this point. But he's never been one to pick off a lot of passes. I, I think he has a handful in his entire career. Marcus Peters is more that guy, but hasn't been as big of a turnover machine since he got to Baltimore. I look at the Ravens' secondary, and they're very good. You have Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. You have a very good uh, foundation for your secondary. And Chuck Clark is reportedly one of the smartest, probably the smartest guy on the field, right? And he showed that how badly they missed him in those last two games when he came back. But the Ravens need a playmaker. And when you talk about the draft, everybody talks about, oh, they need to get an O-lineman in the draft. They need to get an O-lineman. If they went out and they got a big game-changing safety with that 14th overall pick, I would not be upset about that. They need somebody that can get in there and change the course of the football game. Now, look, you're never going to get an Ed Reed again. He's one of a kind, right? But they You're need certainly some... probably not getting them at 14, but right. But I get your point. I catch your drift there. Yeah. Yeah. They they, they need this. If it's uh, O line is a is is a major issue. But if the best player available is a, is a safety who can turn the ball over, that's who you got to take, in my opinion. What did you think of uh, Tony Jefferson, who came out of nowhere? I thought he really comported himself and competed really well, and I could see him being back with the team over, say, Jimmy Smith, who I think has really kind of lost a couple steps. Well, yeah, Jimmy Smith clearly lost a couple of steps. Uh, Tony Jefferson, there was a reason that he got paid as well as he did by the Ravens. He's a veteran with a veteran presence out there, and he's a great guy for that, for that clubhouse. I think that we're kind of our eyes kind of deceive us a little bit with him because when you're comparing him to what he was, what was playing around him, mm -hmm. uh, of course he's going to look better. He's yeah, been, he's been a, a, good point. a veteran in this league. There was that one play on third and seven on the pass to Fryermuth that went for 14 yards in that game-winning drive where he had him blanketed in coverage and didn't even attempt to get a hand up to knock the ball down. And to me, he actually made my, my uh, top five list for slaps on the helmet this week because of that play. I like Tony Jefferson. Uh, I wouldn't mind him being back here as a depth piece, not a starter. No, clearly, um, and, and, and at a reasonable at price. The, and at the right price. Like, like uh, Bo said um, about Steve Bishotti and Ozzie Newsom. Right player, right price. Right, and, and and if that price is right, then yeah, bring bring him on yeah. back. Otherwise, I I don't think I could take him. I could leave him. Honestly. Fair enough. Fair enough. So an, another guy 
because um, we were ta- you were talking about Rashad Bateman, and he didn't get really as many opportunities down the stretch as we thought that he should have. Because I think he's the best receiver on the team. Clearly, has the best hands uh, on the team. Marquise Brown, they have a they have a decision to make on him. They have to pick up that fifth year player option by May second, or he only plays next year and then he walks as a free agent. That would pay him just under. I think it would be twelve point nine zero six million. Um, I don't see for, him as a twelve million dollar receiver right. at this point. Ne- next year, his cap hit is like three million, right. but then in twenty twenty three, it would be just about thirteen million. Look, ninety one catches. He had over a thousand yards receiving this year, but he didn't score a touchdown since that first game against against the Cincinnati Bengals. He's very undersized. He doesn't break tackles. For a guy with his speed, he doesn't really make people miss. Now, I also think that he's a little bit misused. They use him on a lot of out routes and a lot of hitch plays. I'd rather see that guy running down the middle or deep. Use him the way you use Torrey Smith. Maybe he draws some penalties. I think he's been misused in this passing offense. But even still, a guy who can be knocked over by a stiff breeze, playing wide receiver in the NFL for your team, again, if – if you think it makes sense, but it's up to him next year to prove that he that he is worth it. I'm going to throw you out one more player who I would, I, to me, and again, I make no pretense that I'm a football expert because when I watch football, sometimes I, I just sort of watch the ball. I'm not able to, you know, watch the game in a sophisticated fashion. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing thing for a talk show guy to admit. But the player that stands out to me as a real miss is Patrick Queen. Uh, I just don't see how they really thought this guy was going to be a significant contributor to the point. Now, if you're talking about late in the second round, midway through the third round, and I'm not saying he would have lasted that long, but you're talking about a first-round pick. Uh, I think he's, to me, what he's shown in his couple of years, he looks like a miss to me. I thought he played somewhat better this year against the run, which is where he's really needed. But uh, what are you th- your thoughts on him? Uh, look, they, they moved him to weak side and he got better, right? Um, the guy is a supreme athlete. Now, but, but people forget he played one year of linebacker at LSU yep. and they got taken in the first round. So the, it, there's some inexperience. At some point, now entering his third season in the NFL, you can't really make that inexperience argument anymore, even with the whole COVID issue last year. Um, with Patrick Queen, like I said, a supreme athlete, he is stupid fast for a linebacker. But the, 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 his speed kind of inhibits him a little bit because he goes too fast and he over-pursues and he doesn't break down. You see him slide off of guys way too many times. Now look, and, and just like the Ed Reed thing, you can't really compare people to Ray Lewis because he was a different breed. Right. But there are tackles that Patrick Queen just flat-out misses where you remember watching Ray Lewis, and Ray Lewis squares that dude up and drives him into the ground. Patrick Queen doesn't do that. And one of the things that he needs to he's work on— ca- He's not capable, I don't think, of doing that. Well, he, he needs to figure out how to slow the game down. He's going way too, too fast. fast. That's, he, a good, that's a good observation. He's got to slow down. Got to slow down. RAV4. RAV4, that's right. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Highlander, whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, We've got the perfect Highlander for you. 
Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. All right, thank you, Stan, for that lovely read. You have not lost a step here. I uh, have not been in the studio for quite a while. Uh, switching gears here a little bit on the program, we're ready to talk some ter- Maryland Terrapins basketball. Terrapins, of course, have lost three straight, kind of reeling. Um, look, th- th- this, this team just hasn't been what we expected them to be when they were ranked 20th or 21st at the beginning of the season. Now they're 8-7, and seven, going up against Northwestern tonight, looking to complete a streak there. I think they've won the last four. Is that four. game out in Chicago, or is it here? I believe it is out in Chicago, if, if I remember correctly. Um, I think the Terps have won like the last four games or so against Northwestern, so they're trying to get off the, off the streak here a little bit. Uh, joining us now, he is a podcaster. His t- podcast is called Go Terrapins. He played for the Maryland Terrapins in, uh, from 2002 to 2006. He is Travis Garrison. Travis, sorry, I'm muted my own mic. Travis, how are you this morning? Travis, we got you. Yes, I'm here. Uh, how are you this morning? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? We're doing pretty well, thank you. Um, look, the Terrapins—they're—they're they're having a. One of the worst seasons I can remember seeing, and uh, you, you were used to playing on a, on a team that was competitive year in and year out, tournament team year in and year out, and the Terps were supposed to be that this year, but they have a bunch of guys from the transfer portal on the roster. They haven't seemed to be able to click very well, not a great shooting team. They find themselves at 0-4 in the conference and 8-7 and overall. What's going on with the Maryland Terrapins this year, man? I mean, obviously, you know, with uh, Coach Turgeon, you know, departing uh, towards the beginning of the season, that changes things a lot, you know. Um, also, like you said, with the transfers coming in, um, it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment, and like I said, you know, with the change of coaches at the beginning of the season, you know, so things is is that 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 can be a distraction to players, and then with everything that's booming around, you know, with with the uh, on the university in regards to the coaching, and you know, there's possibly another going to be another uh, coaching change. I mean, it's, it's it's not easy to deal with, you know, especially as a player um, dealing with, you know, like you said, your coach departing um, uh, beginning of the season. So that kind of throws you off a little bit. Now, obviously, they're trying to get back on track because as players and, you know, Coach Manny being a former player, um, kind of trying to get guys back on track, you know, in the, uh, the conference play right now. So you're trying to basically get them. If we get our minds as players, we get one good win. If we get the win tonight, Hopefully they can turn things around and get things going and get that momentum back up and going. So um, it's not that easy to do, but it's, it's, it's possible. Travis, tell us uh, – I'm Stan Charles, by the way, Stan the fan. Uh, yeah, you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Happy, healthy New Year to you. Tell us a Thank little you. bit about the Go Terrapins podcast. How long have you been doing it? How close are you in terms of watching the games? Uh, are you really on top of where the program is right now? Yeah, so I have been doing so. The Go Turbans with Travis Garrison is on the Field Assist State Networks, uh, along with uh, Jeff Goodman, who's a, a C, uh, was a former CBS reporter for college basketball, and Rob Doster, who's uh, the founder. Um, I've been doing it since maybe beginning of last year, I mean, uh, beginning of last year, February of last year. Okay. Um, been doing it for a while. Have former players, coaches, you know, Coach Williams, Walt Williams, um, a lot of those guys on. Um, it's been pretty good to catch up with those guys. And I do try to stay uh, current with uh, the Myrna team now, um, obviously talking with uh, former players and coaches and things that's going on within the program. So I try to stay up to date with everything that's going on. And then me personally trying to be more involved with the uh, program there. 
Now, so the reason I asked that question was, you know, there, there's sort of two crimes that Mark Turgeon committed while head coach of the Maryland Terrapins to me, and the crimes were that he couldn't win really the, the big games often enough, and two, that gradually he's lost the eyes and ears and passion of the Terrapin fan base. Do you see it that way, that that was maybe his bigger crime? Was it people have stopped believing in the program as being a really top-flight contender for relevance? Um, I can say that. I, I know Coach Turgeon. I met him a few, a number of times. You know, always been welcoming and kind to me. Very nice um, guy. There's no question he's a nice yeah, guy. Absolutely. But um, in regards to what you're saying, I think he did lose. I think a lot of people, you know, supporters of Maryland um, boosters, whether it's uh, people who really donate and, and love the program, I think he kind of lost them. I think they kind of was ready to try to move on and try to find another way. Um, I think, you know, a lot of those individuals or people was not happy with them. Um, and I think it's started to weigh on you. After a while, you keep hearing these things going around and you walk into the arena and you suddenly hear the fans become restless. I mean, it takes a toll on you. And then, you know, him being a family guy, you know, his family's at the game. So it's you know, it's not something easy to deal with, you know, so I definitely seen that um, happening. Um, and then, like you said, I, I, I mean, at Maryland, you've never seen a coach, like, leave right at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the yeah. season, but that kind of, like, tells you, that's like to tell you, like, how kind of every, everybody's pretty much done. You know, I think he was, too, as well. Yeah. Uh, you're. I don't know whether you know Damon Evans or not, the athletic director. Do you get any sense at all, of where the coaching search is at and who are some names that we should really keep an eye on? Um, I do not know. I believe I met, made him, met him once or twice, um, but I do not know him uh, that well. Um, I, I think when it comes up in regards to the next coach at Maryland, I mean, there's been a lot of talks about that. I've been on a few shows and we talked about that and a lot of discussion in it. Um, you know, obviously – it, it, it depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at in regards to just wanting to win, I mean, yes, you want to go after, you know, big names, uh, but it's going to cost you. But also, you know, you want to bring those alumni, those boosters, those fans back there. I mean, you got to think about in order to do that, what do you do? Do you bring back a guy or somebody who the program knows, who played, who's from, who's in um, – we went through that Merlin program in regards as a former player. Did you play? Coach. Did you play with Sarunas? No, Sarunas is a little bit before my time. Okay, it was a little bit. Yeah, I've I've heard his name mentioned a little bit. He coaches, uh, I think, the national t- one of the pro teams in Barcelona. I think it mm-hmm. is. Uh, great, great yeah. guy, great yep. guy. W- winning mentality. Um, you know, won a lot of. I play. I saw him over when I was in Greece. Um, uh, played. We played against his team. Um, great competitor. Obviously, a Merlin guy. Um, so I think that's that's what people want. I mean, you, you think about bringing, like, you know, obviously you, you're not looking at records or anything. Think about, like, Juan Dixon. Just even having your staff, you know. Um, you know, you, obviously you got Dwayne Simpkins over at George Mason. You know, do you bring those – get that get those individuals that basically been through the program back on staff and, uh, you know, just try to – they know what Merlin wants in a sense because they play that Merlin. And they know the fans, and the fans know them. So, I mean, you kind of have to look at it from that perspective and then go from there, I believe. You you played for 
not only Gary Williams was a legendary coach, but you also played your high school ball at DeMatha. What, what kind of comparison would you make between Morgan Wooten and Gary Williams? The comparison is um, they love to win, <laughs> they, of <laughs> course. Uh, de- definitely de- two different styles, but they're similar, believe it or not. You know, obviously Coach Wooten was more of the quiet, you know, X's and O's, and Gary was, you see him on the sideline, he's sweating through his shirts, he's passionate, he's jumping up and down. Coach Wooten wasn't like that, but their words cut the same. Gary's more like he's going to, you know, he raises his voice, he yells, but he's passionate about the game. Coach Wooten, same exact way. He cuts you with his words. He, he was very, he knew how to use his words uh, in a great way in the sense of uh, motivating and encouraging you. And he could be very sarcastic, but it gets his point across. So just as much as Gary was yelling at you, Coach Wooten's words uh, acted the same way, believe it or not. Like it was, he got his point across, a point across very clearly. And um, they both, like I said, both Hall of Famers, great individuals. Um, Coach Wooten, great person. You know, a lot of people don't know Coach Williams because, you know, how he can be off the court. But, you know, if you get to know him, great guy, um, very caring for his players and people that he loves. Um, and they both, like I said, they both care about their players very much. We're talking with Travis Garrison, former Maryland Terrapin basketball player, 2002 to 2006, I think it is, Travis. Yes, sir. Yes, He's sir. got the Go Terrapins podcast. How can people find that, uh, Travis? Uh, they go to Go Terrapins. We're on Spotify, also on Apple Podcasts. Um, we also are on YouTube. Also, if you go to, if you're on Twitter, um, the at, at the Field of 68, um, they have all the shows on there live as well. All right. How often do you record? Are you once a week during the basketball season? Yes, sir. Once a week. They have somebody new on every week. Um, you can you can even go back on, like I said, you go to Spotify and all, all those uh, links. You can find the former, uh, prior interviews as well and upcoming ones we have coming up. All right. And how long is usually a podcast? Is it 20 minutes, 30 minutes? It, it, it can range anywhere between 30 and an hour. Okay. All right. Good. I'm going to have to check it out. Got a couple more quick ones for you. Uh, you and I both have said we agree kind of that during the Turgeon era, the fan base has sort of uh, dissipated somewhat. How vital do you think it is for Damon Evans to get this right? Because – you know, what's happened to the Terrapins, they've lost some of their luster, they've lost some of their relevance during Mark Turgeon's era. If you make the wrong hire now and suddenly Mark's last five years turn into five or six more down seasons, uh, you, you might really find it hard to build this thing back up. Uh, how, how important is this decision by Damon Evans? It's super important. I think it's a, a decision that you kind of want. What you're, what you're maybe wanting, honestly, believe it or not, right now is hope Coach Manning could turn this around and get us in the tournament. Hope Coach Manning could turn this around and get us in the tournament. That way it kind of gets get some of the pressure off you in a sense because you're like, okay, we gave this guy opportunity. Look what he had done and turned things around. And, got, and, and so do we – extend him a couple of more years to see what he does in regards to we go out and recruit, who he can hire and bring on staff to help out. So but if it if it continues to go the way it's going, now you have to you have, you have to bring somebody in that can make an immediate impact. Because like you said, you went you went through those turgeon and he had some really good seasons. I mean so we can't like look at 
that like Coach Turgeon had very bad season, but yep. you want to see something better come come about for the Merlin program. So they have to. The pressure's on. It's, it's a, it's a, I wouldn't want to be in this situation yep. in, his, in his shoes. But well, that's um, why he, that's why he makes the big bucks, and you and I are talking <laughs> sports. <laughs> hey Travis, I've got one last question for you. You played for Gary uh, the four years immediately following the championship. Uh, when you reflect on your time there, was it a disappointment that the program didn't quite live up to get the, that bump that you might get when you win a championship where you're really competing for a championship the next couple of years? Was that a disappointment as you recall and reflect? Um, I can speak for myself um, in regards to we had a very a very talented incoming class. You know, obviously Steve Blake, Drew Nicholas, Taj Holden, those guys were on their way out. Right. So the expectations for us, you know, we had one of the top five recruiting classes coming in. So we, they the expectations were for us to come in and basically kind of pick up and learn from those guys leaving out and kind of try to get back to that championship uh, caliber of things. I, like I said, I can speak for myself. I know, you know, things were disappointing for me in regards to what I could have done better there, um, obviously years after, you know, reflecting on yeah. uh, my past, but, you know, I could have, you know, contributed more or, uh, you know, not being as distracted as I was, you know, with things off the court and been more focused. So I think, you know, speaking for myself, if I was to have been more focused and dedicated myself more to the game, I think I could have helped the team a lot more and maybe things would have turned out differently for the whole team. That, that, Period, that 2002 season, they didn't have Baxter, Wilcox, or Dixon, correct? Yes, sir. And Mouton was gone also? Yes, sir. Wow, that's a lot of talent to lose in one off <laughs> yeah. season. Okay. Hey, yeah. Travis, we really appreciate your joining us on the Glenn Clark Radio Show. Again, Go Terrapins uh, podcast available on Spotify. Thanks a lot, yes, Travis. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. There you go, Travis Garrison. Travis Garrison from Go Terrapins uh, podcast. Yeah, it's 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 inter- It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this Terrapins coaching search because, you know, D- Turgeon was run out of town for lack of a better term, and Gary Williams at the end of his career. People look at Gary Williams, and you remember all the winning, you remember the national championship, but what people don't realize is the last four or five years. The Maryland Terrapins basketball program just wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, it wasn't and, certainly at the level it was the years going into when they won the championship. It right. sort of dovetailed and went the opposite way a little bit. Right. And, and to me, look, I don't expect the, the, the Terrapins to compete for a national championship year in, year in and year out. I think that that's unrealistic. But I don't think it's unrealistic to, A, be ranked every year and B be ranked in the top 15 to top 20 every year. And hopefully they can get a, get a coach that has a recruiting ability of Mark Turgeon and maybe a little bit of that, that on the court fire that we saw on Gary Williams. And look, we make the comparisons cause that's what we're used to. That's what we've seen here, you know? And so you're always going to want that hybrid, but they just need somebody who's got that personality that can be fiery on, who, on the who court. Who is it for you? Uh, for, well, everybody wants Nate Oates, right? But the the coach out in Alabama, he's supposed to be the next big thing in coaching. I wouldn't mind seeing Bruce Pearl. He's a little, he's a little bit older and kind of uh, had a bad run in with the NCAA there in Tennessee. But or I, I have a whole list and I can't remember the guy's name. I, well, the I guy, feel like the guy that's at the top of my list is John Beeline. 
Uh, Beeline left Michigan after coaching there for about a decade. Uh, he always had them competing uh, to be, you know, in the, in, the, in the Sweet 16. I mean, his teams were really, really well coached. He recruited very well. There were no scandals. Now, he's 69 years old right mm-hmm. now. But I, I think getting a proven guy that might only coach for three or four years is what's needed now. I think all these other candidates coming to Maryland face different type of obstacles, and I'd, I'd want the guy that I was really confident in that he could, he could immediately hit the ground running. Yeah, as long as it's somebody that can come in here and get this program back to being a proud program and winning basketball games, his, his name could be Jake Smith. For all I care, just I, I want somebody in here that can get the most out of his teams and still be able to recruit this area because this is a big time area for for basketball players and you need to be able to get those guys on on your team and get back to playing Maryland Terrapins basketball, which I think he's been sorely missing for a long time now. Yeah, one name that's interesting that was thrown around immediately after Turgeon left was Andy Enfield mm-hmm. and his team now, by the way, USC ranked number five in the country. I don't think there's a chance in hell they can attract him from uh, Southern California. Probably not. Just like they're probably a former not. Johns Hopkins basketball player. Yeah, I was I was reading a little bit about him in my, in my show prep uh, for today, and I, I don't. This is a marquee job. The Maryland basketball. It, it's one of those upper echelon jobs in in the country. So you're going to be able to get somebody. I don't know that you're going to be able to get a, a, a Nate Oates or uh, Andy Enfield. Um, but you're going to be able to get somebody in here who's, who hopefully can turn this program around. Now, uh, that is one of our would-you-rather scenarios. So let's dive right into our would-you-rather scenarios uh, here. The first scenario, Stan, uh, Ronnie Stanley is back to the player he was before the injury. Okay. But Bradley Bozeman walks in free agency and the Ravens don't draft a replacement. Or Bradley Bozeman is tagged. Stanley returns, but isn't the same player, and the Ravens don't address O-line in the draft until the fourth round. Boy, that's uh, (laughs) – I I think the first possibility is what I'd go for. As much as I love Bradley Bozeman personally, you know, and professionally, uh, I think getting Ronnie Stanley back to be the player he was, even if it called upon you to lose Bradley Bozeman, I think that's what I'd opt for. I I agree with – uh, Bo Smolka, I don't think they're going to tag uh, an offensive lineman. Yeah, see, I, I thought it was it, it was an idea. I didn't realize that they that they kind of throw all the offensive linemen into the same basket. I thought it was based on position on that line. Right. So with that in mind, probably probably not, and I don't think it'd be a very smart move. I'm I'm with you. I think I'd take the first scenario, Ronnie Stanley back because you've already got so much money invested in him. You have Kevin Zeitler right guard. If you think Makari or Jawan James can be your right tackle, and then the other one can move over to left guard, you have the makings of a formidable offensive line. This 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 team, this offensive line circles around Ronnie Stanley. And if he's back to the player he was before the injury, that's only good for the Ravens, even if Bradley Bozeman does walk. Some of our listeners' answers. Um, uh, Skip said Stanley, Stanley is the player he was before the injury, but Bozeman, Bozeman walked. So he's basically just renaming, our, redoing our, our segment. Um, Joe says, easily number one, Cologne could probably handle the duties. Uh, and then Ivan sa- Ivan L says, my guess is that Bozeman will wind up in Miami. Loads of cap space, and they need a center. Oh, and apparently a head coach too. I think that's a tongue-in-cheek dig at some of the fans saying that they 
that they need a head coach. Would you rather scenario two? The Maryland Terrapins basketball program hires Nate Oates, and there are growing pains for four seasons, but after that, the team is a perennial national championship contender. Or the Terps turn things around down the stretch, and Danny Man- Manning is, returned, is retained with the program mirroring the, the uh, Gary Williams regime. Uh, well, the way you worded that, if I knew that, if I know that they're going to resemble the Gary Williams Terrapins, I'll stick with Danny Manning. Uh, yeah. I don't think this team, I think Nate Oates would have a hard time surviving four years here if the team was not really successful. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, and, and, and it d- depends on your, on your level of success. Is your level of success saying, well, they got to the to the NCAA tournament, but they lost in the first or the second round. Um, is that unsuccessful, or is it they well, missed I mean, the tournament? Entirely? And I'm not saying in the next four years that you have to to get to the Sweet 16, but I'd say at the very least, I don't think the first two seasons of a new coach, if he were able to get this team into the NCAA tournament, I think that would be highly successful. The way you worded it said. The first four years of Nate Oates, and they're not very. What'd you say? They, um, let me see. The, the they're there are growing pains for four seasons. Well, a team with growing pains, I don't think, would be a team that's making it to the to the NCAA tournament. I don't think they can survive. Four, I don't think Nate Oates would survive four years of not making the tournament because that would smack of more of the same with Mark Turgeon. I don't know how patient they'd be, although. Uh, if you signed an eight Oats, you're probably giving him an eight or ten year contract. Yeah, you know, I, I, for him to leave Alabama, he's not going to do it on a three year contract. Which is, by the way, one of the reasons I do like the Bruce Pearl idea is because I think he'd be much more receptive to a three or four year contract at this point in his in his uh, being. And I don't think he, I think he knows he can't get that much higher with Auburn. You know, I think Maryland's a much better job than Auburn. Yeah, I um, I, I think that the, I think ultimately that the the, ter- the Terps are going to lean uh, towards a younger coach who can really build a program. Uh, and I don't know that Bruce Pearl, even though his regimen is his his um resume is what it is, I don't know that they view him as potentially being that guy. The listeners that I understand, have, I understand he is an Under Armour guy though. Oh well, that, Bruce that, Pearl, that, and that's significant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, money talks, right? Yeah. It always talks. Uh, listeners seem to agree with. Um, well, actually, it's it's a little bit split. Uh, uh, Skip says that he agrees with uh, you, Stan. That if it, if Danny Manning's going to turn this team around and have a Gary Williams like tenure, then he's going to take that in a heartbeat. Whereas uh, Ace of Spades said, "Oats." Next question. I think that if you if you throw in. Yeah, they're going to struggle for a few years, but then they're going to be a national championship contender perennially. I think a lot of a lot of people would sign up for that. I mean, they signed up for the Orioles rebuild in this area. I think they sign up for that with um, with that particular scenario. And then, uh, would you rather scenario number three? Adley Rutschman starts with the Orioles on opening day and runs away with Rookie of the Year honors, but the Orioles lose 100 games again. Or Rutschman debuts in August for whatever reason to mixed results, but the Orioles surprise everyone and win 78 games. Well, first of all, if if Adley Rutschman played from day one and wins the rookie of the year, 
I don't think I know that I know this is supposed to be an either or, mm-hmm. but I don't see the Orioles losing a hundred games if he wins Rookie of the Year and plays, uh, you know, one hundred and forty games next year. Well, but, but the, the the point of these scenarios is that, and you just alluded to it, that's what's going to happen in, in that scenario is that he he's a Rookie of the Year candidate, but everybody else kind of falters, they fall on their face. But and I have to games. buy into the I have to buy into what the premise is, and I'm not buying that they'd lose a hundred games if he's playing every day. That's what makes these scenarios so difficult. Yeah. Uh, uh, and what was the second scenario? Rutschman debuts in August for whatever reason. See, I don't two. agree with that premise either because I don't the, think there's any way he's going uh, to. Uh, there's no get, way he's waiting till August to. to Glenn gets so mad in these particular situations because we we're not saying this is what this is something that we made up in our heads. So. For whatever reason, maybe maybe he got hurt, or maybe he struggled, or maybe the Major League Baseball season really does um, get pushed back a bit. Okay. But for whatever reason, he debuts in August uh, to mixed results, but the Orioles surprise everyone and win 78 games. I would take uh, B. You I would, would take, take B. B. Yeah, yeah I, would I, take I, B. I, I, I would t- I would tend to agree with you on that one. I would take scenario B, too, because you I still think... I think the much more likely premise, though, is that, the, that he plays sometime... By May the first, and the Orioles win closer to seventy-two to seventy-four games this year. I, I, I think that's much more likely scenario. When we're talking realistically, I yeah. I, I hope that's a scenario too. That's all going to come down to. I think the the, the lineup is going to be fairly solid, but it's going to come down to the pitching. They showed a willingness to spend a little, at least a little bit of money signing Jordan Lyles, and uh, I think Adley Rutschman will only help a young pitching staff, as will the deeper dimensions in left field, but. We shall see how that plays out for the Orioles. So um, not a lot of responses. I got these, got these up a little bit late. And, guys, if you don't like the scenarios, I apologize. Uh, again, Glenn is, Glenn is out of, from the show today. I took over the Would You Rather duties today because I thought it would be fun. So this is my first crack at doing scenarios. So bear with me if they're not up to your typical Would You Rather Wednesday expectations. Um, Skip also – Skip is very big on just – copying and pasting what we say in these scenarios, and that's the one that he's going to go with. So right. uh, Skip sends, tends to um, to agree with you and I that we would take a mixed results from Adley Rutschman and win 78 games. Yeah, I would definitely take that. So, Stan. Because be- I, I don't think the mixed results would stay there uh, over time. I think, you know, if he had mixed results the first year, uh, I think uh, it would be okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that Adley Rutschman is the type of player where even if he struggles a little bit, because a lot of players struggle their rookie years, I think he'd bounce back his second year. And the Orioles winning 78 games with a struggling Rutschman, mm-hmm. what they do with a good Rutschman, you know, that would be incredible. What's more likely to happen, and this is not a would you rather, but is that Rutschman will be very successful the first year and then perhaps so- suffer from the sophomore jinx, yeah. which is really about the fact that You've shown people what you can do. They make adjustments to you, and now you've got to counter those adjustments, you know, that they've made to you that, that call upon you to show what you're really made of. You yeah, know? and we, we, we saw it with Ryan Mountcastle that, that, that first month of the year when he hit yeah. below 200, only one home run, and then he took off yeah. the last five months of the season. So, yeah, the sophomore slump is a real thing, folks. It, 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 it happens quite often, but it's up to that player to bounce back. And in Mountcastle's case, he did it. We're talking about a sophomore slump before we even get a freshman it, season from, uh, from Rutschman, though. It happens a lot of times in life, in anything. A yeah. guy who writes the first book that's a smash success he has they don't call it the sophomore jinx 
when he writes his next book, and it's nowhere near as good. Uh, and there's a lot of psychological uh, thought given to that, that the first one you've kind of done your first season or your first book or your first business you start, it's like you sort of do it sp more spontaneously. You, you sort of aren't parroting something. But once you've succeeded and then the inevitable slump comes, are you able to just be yourself or do you then say, how do I be the Adley Rutschman I was last year? And that's where you get into problems where you stop being yourself and you try to become what you were. It's a really a tricky trap to fall into. I think we saw a lot of that with guys like Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger. And it wasn't in their sophomore seasons, but it was uh, there's the injuries, there's the struggles. Well, this is, who, this is the player I was, this is the player I should be. How do I get back to that instead of just playing your game and let it come to you? I think there's a lot of, of merit to that point there. You, you know what's fascinating real quick about the, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers? They paid Ryan Braun the largest contract they'd ever given anybody, mm -hmm. and he immediately got exposed as having been a steroid user and a, and a stone-cold liar, uh, yeah. you know, that almost cost that guy his career, the tester that he lied about. Uh, and he, he was never the player that they paid that kind of money for after they paid him. And now they pay Christian Yelich, the, by far the largest contract they've ever given out, and he has that kneecap injury where he shattered his kneecap mm -hmm. or fractured his kneecap, whatever it was called. He has been absolutely just a shell of Christian Yelich, and they've got yet they've got what like thirty plus million dollars tied up in this guy for another five or six years. Uh, it's actually pretty incredible um, when you look at. Uh, I remember when they when he signed the contract, and it was for something. It was. Small by today's numbers, it was something like twenty-one or twenty-two million dollars a year that he was getting from the Brewers, and I was like, "This guy's an MVP. Why would they?" He hits over three hundred. He drops bombs. Why would they not pay him thirty million dollars a year? And then he goes out and breaks his kneecap, and he isn't the same player. And now it's looking like even though they're still on the hook for paying him, and look, he came back and he played a full year last year, and they're hoping he can come back and get back and be another year removed from that injury and be back to the player that. He was before he signed that contract. Uh, he's got but, he's got eight more years on his contract at an average of twenty five million dollars. First first seven years starting next year, twenty six, 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 and then twenty in two thousand twenty nine, it's a twenty million dollar mutual option. Or a six point five million dollar buyout. Uh, my money would be on the buyout yeah. right now. <laughs> my money would be on the buyout in, in uh, a few years from now if it, if it were in that contract. Yeah. Look, he's still a relatively young player with not a lot of tread on the tires. I I, I can see Christian Yelich bouncing back. It, uh, it's up. It's one bad season does not a bust make. Uh, it's one of those. I I can see him bouncing back, but it's it's up to him to do it. I just. Man, that's a lot of money to pay for somebody who's 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 so well, immediately. Well, here, here's his struggled. first in 2019. Do we have two minutes? Do we have two minutes? Yeah, we we got a couple. 2019, minutes. he played 130 games, had 44. He had 44 home runs in 130 games. He had 97 RBIs. He was hitting 329, which ended up leading the league. His on-base percentage of 429 was leading the league. 
671 slugging percentage and 1100 OPS. They were all all were league leading numbers, which he had done the previous year in those four categories, except for on base percentage. It was only 402 in 18. He has that knee injury in sometime in August. Okay, his 2020 season, granted, was only 58 games. He hit 205 with 12 home runs, 22 RBIs. His on-base percentage was 356, 430 for slugging, 786 for OPS. Now he's got the full offseason to train for a full season. Last year he played in 117 games, 9 homers, 51 RBIs, 248 average, 362 on-base percentage, a 373 slugging percentage, and a 736 on uh, OPS. Uh, th- those are some tricky, tricky numbers to come back from to really be a dominant force again. Yeah, no, it's um, the power was there in 2020. That even though the average wasn't, the power was that's that's a 30 plus homer season if you expand it out over the course of a full year. Last year, the the power numbers: nine home runs in 117 games. The uh, aside from the injury, and look, he's already uh, more than a year removed from that at that point yeah. last year. Aside from that. Uh, do you know many big bats that are around him in that lineup? The Brewers were good last year because they had the best pitching in, ba- in baseball uh, on their staff. Yeah, and their offense left something to be desired, but I wouldn't say that the two previous years where he had those astounding numbers that the offense around him was that much better. I yeah. mean, they've, they've kind of, you know, one of the things that was attractive to Milwaukee about him, which, by the way, Miami made one of the absolute worst trades you know the the star of that trade for 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 Miami was Lewis Brinson, mm. who can barely hit 200 in the big leagues. But again, the one thing if you're a Brewers fan or you're the Brewers owner, the 356 and 362 on base percentages are still very good. Right. You know, four over 400 is astounding, but 350, 360. Boy, if you gave Adam Jones those on base percentages, he would have hit three, three ten, three fifteen every year. Yeah, yeah. It's the 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 on base numbers are good. And that is what stood out to me as well. But boy, um, the power to go from a, a thousand, then eleven hundred to seven eighty six and seven thirty six in OPS is it's it shows some real weakness in your game now how old is he now he what is he 29 30 years old at this point i'm gonna guess he's 29 or 30 let's see he is why does baseball reference this is really a rant it's it doesn't have his his damn birthday up here that's it's usually at the very at the very top of the page no it's not it says christian yelich outfielder bats left throws right six three 195 pounds. Doesn't even say the year he was born. He's 30. He's he, 30. He, I, just, I just looked up. He's, uh, I mean, could he come back? Yes. Uh, there's no question about it. But we sort of said that for three years with Chris Davis. Yeah. You know, three, yeah. four years we said, oh, he can come back next year. L- L- yeah, you're not, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy out of yeah. people in Baltimore for, yeah. for that situation. But it, 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 it does stink because 
it, 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 the injury was what it was. It was in the middle of an MVP caliber season in 2019 where he, he fouled a ball off the knee, fractured the kneecap, and then the next thing you know, he's not the same player he was. And you also have to wonder how much of that but is... But it's, it's also, it's just, it's almost like exactly like Ronnie Stanley, where Ronnie Stanley got hurt like two weeks after they gave him that huge contract. Extension. It was the same week. Yeah. Yelich was pretty similar. Yeah, they, they, they just they, signed him a couple. I, of I, I I feel like they they signed him after the injury, mm. or maybe it was the same year. But it was it was definitely with either the same year or just after. Although I can't imagine it would have been after the injury. No, I don't think so. Let but me, it was, let me it look. Was, Hold on. Let me sure. let me re- quickly look again. He played with Milwaukee. No, I don't think so. He played. Because the injury happened in 19, correct? Yes. He was playing at that time for... It had to have been after, because I remember talking about it with you when I was producing you on the bat around. I remember talking about his contract with you then. So it had to have been after the injury. Um, But either either way, it's... um, it's a shame to see. It, it, it's crazy because a lot of these big contracts, you're paying the guy for what he's going to do the first five years, not what he's going to do later on in the contract. But some of them, they just don't work out. And you look at Chris Davis, you look at Christian Yelich, and Yelich is still young enough and still has plenty of time to, to make good on that deal. But it's not a good look when the first two years after he signs the deal, um, he is playing as poorly as he is. Um, what's not going poorly, though, is... The stuff going on over at Glory Days Grill. And their winter winter, uh, seasonal menu is back with comfort classics like their house-made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese, which I want to try so badly. Featuring the center-cut sirloin and grilled shrimp, char-grilled pork tenderloin, grilled meatloaf sandwich, smoky thigh wings with Alabama barbecue sauce, and a Brussels and bacon appetizer. All these items pair well with Devil's Backbone 8-point IPA or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. And they're featuring seasonal cocktails like the Blood Orange Bourbon Cider, the Apple Ginger Mule, and the Captain's Hot Cider. You can get your your order in at glorydaysgrill.com right now. Order me something, too, because I'm pretty hungry. Uh, but go visit Glory Days Grill because that food is off the charts, and I can't wait to try some of it myself. When we come back here on Glenn Clark Radio, uh, she is the senior writer for the uh, the senior MLB writer for The Athletics. She is Britt Giroli, and she's going to be on to talk about the lockout. After the break. Duffy's Garage is a family-owned and operated car care facility in beautiful Baldwin, Maryland. An authorized Maryland inspection station and Napa Pro Care Center with ASE certified techs. Tell them that Glenn Clark sent you and receive 10% off your service with a max discount of $150. You gotta trust where you take your car, so take it to where I take mine. Duffy's Garage in Baldwin. Duffy'sGarageMD.com from all of the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while at MyBookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus up to $1,000. Double your money before you even place a bet, and all you have to do is sign up and deposit using the exclusive promo code PRESSBOX at MyBookie.ag. If your first deposit is $100, MyBookie adds $100 so you can start with $200 to play with. If your first deposit is $1,000, MyBookie adds $1,000 so you can start with $2,000 to play with. With tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week, there is truly something for everyone. Don't wait any longer. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can start winning big today. That's promo code PRESSBOX to receive double your first deposit instantly in your account. No hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. 
It's another cold winter here in Baltimore, but this time there's no hot stove to warm you up. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, and while there may be no activity in the world of baseball, I'll still be here every week with my co-host, Zach Goodman, to give you all the latest in the CBA negotiations as teams look to get back on the field in time for spring training. You can watch us live every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, plus find archived shows under the radio tab at PressBoxOnline.com. So tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon for the latest in baseball coverage right here on the Bataround. Glory Days Grill's winter seasonal menu is back with comfort classics like their house-made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese. It also features the center-cut sirloin with grilled shrimp, the char-grilled pork tenderloin, grilled meatloaf sandwich, smoky thigh wings with Alabama barbecue sauce, and a Brussels and bacon appetizer. All of these items pair well with Devil's Backbone 8-point IPA or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. And try their seasonal cocktails, Blood Orange Burger, Bourbon Cider, Apple Ginger Mule, and Captain's Hot Cider. Find out more and get your order in today at glorydaysgrill.com. Great food, good sports. Window Depot Baltimore provides the highest quality Pro-Via windows, doors, and siding for all budgets. The best is finally affordable. Call them today for a free in-home consultation at 410-941-3499. They also offer Zoom and FaceTime consultations in an effort to practice social distancing. A proud sponsor of the Tyus Bowser Show, you can find out more at windowdepotbaltimore.com. We can't imagine why you'd want to, but you can watch GCR live. It's at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. And try to guess whether these guys are wearing any pants. Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career, or maybe you won an IT certification. CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field, and it's all tuition-free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training for more information. We're back live here on Glenn Clark Radio. Joining us in the captain's chair today is Stan the Fan Charles. And joining us on the line right now to talk about the latest in the, the new CBA negotiations. She used to write for the Baltimore Orioles and the Washington Nationals. Now she's a senior MLB writer for The Athletic. She is Britt Giroli. Britt, thank you so much for joining us this morning. How are you today? Yeah, no problem. I'm doing well. Uh, how are you guys? I'm doing great, Britt. Happy, healthy New Year to you and your uh, significant other. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Right back at you, Stan. All right. Long time no talk, too. Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, let's start right right where the uh, rubber meets the road. Uh, supposedly, the, uh, the MLB owners are going to present a new core economic proposal tomorrow to the players. What what ended up, not that I'm saying they're, they're moving fast, but what sped this up this week? Because Bob Nightingale, as, as early this week as Monday, was reporting that the owners were going to pre- prepare and present a proposal in about two weeks, and then all of a sudden it leaked out that it was being, it was being presented tomorrow. Well, Stan, I don't know if I would believe that report um, just based on kind of the history um, of that reporter, and they're not always accurate. Yeah. I think especially this time of year, you can make the mistake reading everything and believing that everything you read is true. Okay. Um, so I don't think it's sped up by any means. I think they've gone 40 days without talking. I don't think anybody would consider that fast 
at all. I think this is long overdue. I wish it had happened earlier. Um, I'm glad they're having some kind of meeting, but again, I think people need to kind of temper their expectations as to what it's going to accomplish. Yeah, I didn't mean to make it sound like I thought that they're both sides are moving fast at all here. I mean, especially the owner's side of things. But but I was wondering what happened from Monday to Wednesday that all of a sudden the thing's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe nothing, Sam. Yeah. Maybe nothing. Uh, right. Maybe it was a fake report. All you right. know, that's just kind of how it goes. All right. What do you think will be in the owner's proposal? Do you think it'll be a serious proposal, or do you think it'll be the kind that is just offhandedly dismissed? Well, I would hope that it's a serious proposal because keep in mind, Stan, the last time these two parties met before the owners locked them out, the meeting lasted seven minutes. So if you ask me if this is another seven-minute meeting, I would really question what the owners have been doing over the last 40 days because it would really show that they haven't really been doing much. Um, I would hope it's a significant proposal and that there are some changes. But again, like I said, I think... Anybody who expects an agreement to come out of this um, is, is, you know, it's a pie-in-the-sky type of dream. I hope it moves forward the conversations a little bit. I mean, I like to think of it as like a football field almost, and you're kind of just moving the chains methodically, and right now they're stuck like on the 10-yard line. I'd like to hope that this kind of pushes it to the 20 or 30 or maybe even midway down the field. Um, That's how you kind of have to think about these negotiations. Is it going to push things forward I would be surprised if it didn't, um, to some extent, um, offer us a little bit more of a glimmer of hope. What? And I'm just asking your gut feeling on this or, or how you assess this. What do you think ownership needs to come in there with that will get the players' attention that, that a meeting can last two and a half, three and a half hours where they really start to talk about some things? Is it the length of that, you know, before free agency, does that have to start to shift a little bit? No, I, I find it really hard to believe that the owners are going to give up the way free agency and arbitration works, Dan. I also think it's kind of a selfish proposal on the players' part because I think it's maybe 40% of players that even get to free agency. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger issues, if you talk to players of all kinds, not just the ones at the top, um, aren't let's get paid earlier in our career, aren't let's reach free agency quicker, it's hey, let's raise the minimum salary. That's the thing that affects way more guys than free agency. So I think the owners have to come in with something like that. And I think the tanking, getting teams like the Orioles to stop tanking um, because it's bad for the game. I mean, the Orioles make money and revenue sharing from teams, and that money doesn't go directly into player payroll. I think they have to fix that. They have to make teams try to win, whether that's changing the draft whether that's adding a minimum salary floor, mm-hmm. whether that's, like I said, allocating where the money they get from other teams is going and not lining teams and owners' pockets. I think those are really important issues. And, yes, I know players want to change the arbitration system, but to me they'd have to blow up a lot of things for that to happen, and I'm very skeptical because what's in it for the owners. Hey, Bert, it's Paul Valley. Uh, you're mentioning these things like uh, trying to get the minimum salary uh, raised up and the um, – uh, forgive me, I lost my train of thought – but trying to get the, the minimum salary raised up and things and like – uh, uh, And the floor. And the floor and eliminating tanking. Um, these things are likely – I would imagine that they're going to be in this, in this new collective bargaining agreement – but when were they going to take effect? When you look at tanking, the Orioles played the 2021 season, for example, under the mindset that 
you lose the most games, you get to number one pick in the draft. Do you think this impacts their 2022 draft, or is this something that's, that, that's kind of grandfathered in and it starts taking place in 2023 and beyond? No, I hope it takes place right away. I think it needs to take place right away. And the Orioles are in year four of a rebuild, um, and they're not going to be good this year. So, you know, it, it's really unfortunate and sad, and their fans deserve better, and the city deserves better. Um, and I, I think there's a way to rebuild without putting a, a product on the field that, you know, is an A-ball team. And I think teams have kind of taken that too far. So I think that they're going to try to push to get it into effect right away. I mean, with the international draft, I know they're pushing to, you know, maybe get that into effect right away as well. So um, as far as a grace period, you know, the Orioles have had, again, this is year four of a rebuild. So they've had the four years of tanking and the draft picks and things like that. So um, I hope it changes immediately. It's bad for the game. It's bad for the players and it's bad for the fans. Well, yeah, I, I certainly agree with you in that aspect. Now, the free agency and arbitration issue, to me, we've heard that revenue sharing is maybe the biggest issue. To me, uh, from the player standpoint, it's definitely getting to free agency earlier, getting the minimum salary raised and having um, less team control uh, than what's currently going on. Do you see a domino effect? If that's the first thing they get in there and talk about and that gets ironed out, that having a domino effect and maybe speeding things up a little bit. Which one is the uh, domino if they go in and they talk about uh, if they iron out the whole free agency, getting the free agency uh, more quickly and raising that minimum salary. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's the least likely thing on the table. So, no, I don't think that would, I think that would end the meeting um, is what I would think, because what's in it for the owners? Fair enough. Fair enough. I just feel like if they're going to get if they're going to get behind closed doors and we talked about this early in the program, both sides have to be willing to put their egos aside and come with a compromise uh, and understand that they're not going to get. Um, everything that they want. I, I don't see what the issue would be of maybe giving up that extra year of control because in my mind, Britt, if, if a player is good enough that you're worrying about that extra year of control, you should be extending him before he hits those arbitration years anyway, right? Yes, I agree with you. However, I also think, like I said earlier, the players' union is full of a lot of players. Most players don't make it to free agency. So why are we fighting for something that only the richest of the rich get to get? Britt, uh, the relationship between the people, you know, there's no question that a, a large re part of the reason that baseball went for 25 years without any uh, labor problems was after Donald Fear, Michael Weiner was the guy uh, dealing with the, uh, you know, the owners. Uh, your, your thoughts on the relationship between Manfred and Tony Clark? I think it's been well documented that it's not a great relationship um, when you look at the players' union and the owners. And I think the result of what's happened over the last CB couple CBAs, the owners have really won. Yep. Um, the players really weren't paying attention. Um, you know, they got absolutely fleeced in the last CBA. They were more concerned with getting days off and better food in the clubhouse um, than really making changes to the game. So, you know, I think there's a lot of distrust. Uh, there's certainly some dislike. Um, you know, and I don't think that's uncommon. I just think that, you know, it's been brewing for so long that it's reached almost a toxic level. Yeah. And again, it's not a secret. It's been written about uh, a ton, especially on The Athletic. Uh, Ken Rosenthal and Drellick have done a great job kind of digging into that as well. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you have to get a deal done. You have to work together or there's not going to be any baseball. Speaking of not being any baseball, what is your gut feeling right now, Britt, as to as to how these these talks 
get accelerated and where do you think the end game is? I'm not asking which proposals and all that, but time-wise, do you think we're in for like a either a very shortened or rushed spring training and the loss of some games at the beginning of the year? Um, I don't. I think we're in for a rush short in spring training. I don't think we're going to lose games at the beginning of the year. It's too much money. Yeah. And after 2020 and the shortened season, I think both parties know that it would be really damaging to the sport. So I don't have like a timeline on when they would decide, but I think spring training definitely won't go off without a hitch. We're going to see some kind of trunication on spring training's part. Yes, they make a little money off the games, but it's nowhere close to what they make when it comes to opening day. So um, I still believe that they're going to have a regular season, um, and most players hate spring training anyway, so I think they're fine digging their heels in the sand while spring training uh, is in jeopardy. Tell me a little bit about what's going to happen with the mad rush to sign all these players that are out there that got sort of literally locked out of working on signing contracts. I mean, yeah, it's going to be chaos. Yeah. I think it's going to be like the NFL and uh, the NBA and the NHL and a lot of these other sports. Baseball is like a slow drip in the offseason, and you're going to see some of the excitement we saw before the lockout with the frenzy of moves. You're going to see that replicated again. Britt, before we let you go, i got to ask you one question that has nothing to do with directly with these negotiations. You work at The Athletic. Uh, you work with Ken Rosenthal. Your thoughts on uh, how he, his contract came to be terminated by MLB, uh, you know, the network? Right. Um, well, technically it wasn't terminated. He was um, not renewed. Not renewed. I think that's okay. kind, of, yeah. kind of an important distinction. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it was telling. I know Ken very well. Um, I consider him a mentor, a friend in this business. And I think, you know, it really is telling how much control uh, the commissioner's office now has um, you know, they've really kind of wanted to be one baseball, control the minor leagues, control the network, um, control MLB.com. Now they're in that same office in Park Ave. And this is just another example of that. And, you know, people can say what they will about Bud Selig, but he did believe in the free press. Yep. And I'm not so certain that Rob Manfred does. And I think it's really unfortunate for fans of baseball to not be able to watch the best reporter in baseball <laughs> on MLB Network analyze things and add a layer of credibility that now they certainly lack last question rob manfred his popularity not with fans because i don't meet any fans if we talk about the commissioner uh that that are applauding him think he's doing a good job or a great job where does he stand with the owners right now uh, you know, I I don't know if I can answer that, Janet. I, mean, I don't have super close relationships with any owners. Um, you know, I'd imagine that if he didn't stand well, he wouldn't be commissioner anymore. Yep. And I think when you look at the bottom line, baseball is making a lot of money. Um, but I can't opine on any relationships with, you know, like Angelos and Manfred or, you know, whether right. they all think he's doing a good job. Um, I just simply don't have uh, those relationships with the owners, but... I think the fact that he remains commissioner, the fact that baseball remains very profitable, um, probably speaks for itself. Hey, Britt, thanks for coming on and talking with us. I hope you got you and Ken and all the writers are getting some of that $550 million uh, for now <laughs> being owned by the New York Times. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. I hope so, too. It was all nice right. chatting with you guys. All right. It's good chatting with you, Britt.
Brittany Droli from theathletic.com. Paul? Yeah, I, I, um, I was very interested in the fact. She doesn't think that the free agency and arbitration are starters. And I think, you know, the more I listen to her, I think she's probably right. I think if they came in and said, hey, we're going to up the minimum salary from 500, what is it now, 550? It's like in the 560 range, yeah. yeah. I mean, if they came out and said, hey, we'll, we'll up that to $800,000 or 850, you know, I think that would, that would win over some things. And I think some talk, and again, we can argue what that number should be, but you're talking about by, by creating a floor, the bottom teams can spend, even if it's like 60 or 65 million, a lot of times that would be 20 to 25 million dollars of about eight or 10 teams that probably spend under that right now. Mm-hmm. If you made it like 60, 65 to 75 million starting at year one and incrementally in- increase that a little bit, you're talking about bringing in maybe 150 to 200 million dollars that teams have to spend. That's going to up the other stuff, you know, alongside that. That's not all going to be eaten up by upping the minimum salary. Yeah, I, I, um, I and agree. I think the DH is another thing. I think they'll, they'll, the owners will include that in this proposal. But I think the, the floor and the minimum salary, I think you really start to get some momentum if those three issues are brought into this. Yeah, I, I think the rule changes are going to be some of the last things that are kind of uh, talked about because I, I think that it's kind of agreed upon that the universal DH is going to be a thing. I think they're going back to nine-inning double headers. I'd be interested to see what they do regarding the extra-inning base runner rule um, and see if they still keep that or they make it so it's not till the 12th inning or what have you. But I was interested to, to hear – it was interesting to hear her say – that the salary minimum and arbitration free agency is a non-starter for the owner's side um, because it, it really is, just seems like quabbling over pennies at, at, at that point. But I think that you're right that if there's going to be a minimum salary floor where you have to spend 65 to $75 million, you get that incremental increase. You're going to get these. You're, you're going you to have to spend the money. So you got to spend the money. Exactly. And, and Glenn even made a point about that a couple of months ago on this show saying, well, maybe the Orioles, instead of spending on free agency, when they, if they have to spend that, they spend it on extensions for guys like Means and Mullins and Mancini and maybe Rutschman down the line. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's you'd think that with the players, all they want is to be paid more, that the first issue would be free agency and arbitration, but maybe they knock that out by talking about a salary floor. So mm-hmm. we will see how that goes. Now, you can uh, find out about... All things going on in our best of issue right now. The latest issue of Pressbox is available now, and it is our very special annual best of issue. On the cover, we celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gavis Sports Person of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationships he shared with Baltimore. Also inside, we recognize the top people performances and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. When we come back, we'll close things out with Tidbit, with Tidbit and Tubular right here on Glenn Clark Radio. 
sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Duffy's Garage is a family-owned and operated car care facility in beautiful Baldwin, Maryland. An authorized Maryland inspection station and Napa Pro Care Center with ASE certified techs. Tell them that Glenn Clark sent you and receive 10% off your service with a max discount of $150. You gotta trust where you take your car, so take it to where I take mine. Duffy's Garage in Baldwin. Duffy'sGarageMD.com the latest issue of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue on the cover. We celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Stay tuned. Your chance to win a million dollars is coming up. Probably not from us. You're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. And we're back here on GCR, closing out our number two on the program here. And the show today is brought to you by the, as Glenn would put it, the Stan the Fan Variety Hour. Stan, you have a couple of shows. You have one coming up tonight, right? Uh, tonight I've got uh, none other than uh, Ed Hale, the owner of the Baltimore Blast. I'll be on solo. Gary's got another assignment. Uh, Gary Stein has another assignment. So Ed Hale and I will chat at 7.15. It's uh, on Facebook Live. It's also on the YouTube channel, and it's also will be presented on uh, our website, PressBoxOnline.com, tomorrow morning. By the way, just a quick note, went to ESPN, safety Eric Weddle has unretired. He joins the Rams for the playoffs. Really? Yeah. That I wonder is... why the Ravens didn't get him to go like the last five, six weeks of the season. But anyway, 
Uh, Eric Weddle is going to play in the playoffs. That's unbelievable. John Lester, by the way, uh, retires with 200 wins and three World Series win rings. I'm, I was surprised about the – well, the, the Eric Weddle news is – Pretty shocking to me because yeah. it, if you recall him getting run over by Mark Ingram back in 2019, he looked like his career was winding down in his in 2018 with the Ravens. I guess he has stayed in tremendous shape. I they imagine they have to know that. I mean, they just wouldn't wing him out. And look at Tony Jefferson again. Whether we want him here next year or not, he didn't look. And I, your point is well taken that he looked as good as he did because of what he was playing with at the end there. But maybe Weddle can have a small impact, uh, you know, in some situations for the Rams in the playoffs. Certainly provides some veteran le- leadership and a guy who's been to the playoffs in his in his career and trying to get this team, this team back to a Super Bowl. When really, you look at everything they've given up on that Rams roster, all the draft picks they've given up to get the best players imaginable to try and make a Super Bowl run and to not have a title. And to also not have a first round draft pick for like for like thirty years, it seems. Um, they got to go out and win the Super Bowl, and if he helps them do it, then the more I don't see how he helps them. But you know, I'm not running a, fo- a football franchise, so they know something more than I do. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, and speaking of which, Stan, the NFL playoffs do start this weekend. Your first matchup is going to be, of course, the Tennessee Titans and the Green Bay Packers, the number one seeds in both leagues, and this is the first year where the only the number one seed gets a bye. So every other team has to play except for the number one seed. So the Titans and Packers get the byes this weekend. You have the Raiders and the Bengals at 4.30 on Saturday, followed by the Patriots and Bills at 8.15. The Titans, uh, I'm sorry, the Raiders and Bengals matchup that we're looking at here at 4.30 I don't know how much the Raiders have to play. Uh, I don't know how much they can really do in the playoffs. The fact that they're there is a remarkable story in and of itself. When you look at what happened with Henry Ruggs and you look at John Gruden being dismissed midseason, uh, all the turmoil that this team has had to go through, yet somehow they find a way to, to beat the Chargers at the um, in the final game of the season. They beat the Colts the week before that and find a way to squeak into the playoffs. Uh, and they play on the road at Cincinnati 430 on Saturday. What's this a, game. What's the spread? Five and a half. Uh, that one, I. You're 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 on. I am. Yeah okay. yeah yeah yeah. Go ahead. Um yeah the 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 spread I haven't looked at the spread yet. We uh, generally we do picks. I'm sure this is going to be in there, and that's something I would look at this afternoon. But I can pull that up. I was up. trying to look them up when my computer went haywire. Yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> visiting some unsavory websites. Oh, there, yeah, Stan. That's me. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. Uh, I would have to imagine the Bengals at home having the better roster um, would probably be favored. My phone is acting super slow right now, so I'm trying to get the... Um, well, I think it's a five-and-a-half-point spread, Cincinnati at home versus Las Vegas. I think it is. So, I'll be honest with you, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of running a football pool that I have with my a lot of friends over the years. These first-week games are really, the lines are not attractive at all. In any, there's not one game that I feel really comfortable. Oh, I love that line. Like the New England-Buffalo game. New England is playing at Buffalo. Buffalo is a four-point favorite in that game. Do, does, does that game jump out at you um, as a, an attractive bet one way or the other? A four-point game, if, if you're if, – and the Bills, the Bills are favored by four. Right, is, is that what you're saying? Favored. The, the, bill, the Bills are favored by four. by four. If the Bills win, I don't see them winning by more than four. 
Um, so I'm saying, I, so so I, I, yeah. obviously, you don't love the game. Yeah, I, 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 I take the Patriots. Cincinnati five and a half in Las Vegas. Do you love either side of that game? Oh, I, I, I love Cincinnati. I think, okay. I think Cincinnati would bl- is going to kind of blow their doors off. Okay. To be perfectly honest with you, but um, yeah, I can't get the lines on my phone to save my life. It does. It's not even showing on the NFL website. But look. I, I'm not much of a betting man, Stan. I don't really understand how these uh, – I understand how the betting works. But for me, what I look at is outright. And do I think that the Raiders can beat the Bengals outright? Probably not. Do I think that the Bengals can win by more than five and a half? Vegas is far smarter than I am. So if Vegas says that Cincinnati is favored by five and a half – I think Cincinnati's better. I just do. I, I I would take Cincinnati in that. I would take Cincinnati in the points there. I just I can't imagine. The I'm, tr- I'm trying to get there through my phone right now to FanDuel.com, and for some reason, oh boy. Yeah, every, every every everything's working super slow. But if we're going outright, I think the Bengals win that game. Patriots versus Bills. That's a tougher one to pick because look, that first game was in really terrible weather on Monday Night Football, and it was uh, the Patriots threw the ball three times, and so they were able to run the ball down the Bills' throat so the Bills couldn't stop it, the Bills couldn't throw, and the Patriots came away with it, but then when it was more uh, the, when the, when it was more temperate climate and not nearly as devastating winds, uh, Buffalo came out and showed the, the Patriots that they're the team to beat in the AFC East. I think that one's okay. going to be a great Okay, game. here are the spreads. I've got them in front of me, courtesy of FanDuel Sportsbook. Cincinnati, as I said, is home five-and-a-half-point favorite. That's Saturday at 431. Saturday at 815, Buffalo is home, a four-point favor over New England. Sunday at 1 o'clock, the Eagles are in Tampa. Tampa is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Again, do you like the line? That's what I'm kind of asking you. It's not like I'm not even asking you who to pick, who you like. The line is very difficult. San Francisco is only a three-point underdog to Dallas. That looks suspiciously low. I hate low. that line. Pittsburgh is a 12-and-a-half-point underdog to Kansas City. That's the first game I look at that I say, boy, I'm really comfortable making a wager on the Kansas City Chiefs. So let it, that be a lesson to you. And then Monday night, by the way, first-ever Monday night football playoff game, which I love this addition. Uh, to the playoff schedule. Arizona is at the Rams, and the Rams are a four-point favorite. I guess Eric Weddle is the reason they're favored by four now, coming back to play for the Rams. Well, the, the Rams are kind of playing hot. The Cardinals have been playing really poorly down, yep. down the stretch here. Um, the Rams have the playoff experience that Kyler, Kyler Murray did this last year, where he was looking like an MVP the first half of the year, and then kind of, and, and I get that he was injured, uh, and what, what did you say the line there was? Uh, four. four. Rams are favored by four at home against Arizona, and Arizona has really uh, sort of uh, stumbled of late. The over-under on that game is 49-and-a-half. The Pittsburgh-Kansas City game is 46. San Francisco-Dallas game is 51. Tampa-Philadelphia, 47. New England-Buffalo, 44. And Cincinnati and the Raiders, 49 points on the over-under presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Yeah, I, um, 
I can see the Cardinals Rams game be. I, I I get that line minus four. That's 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 going to be a close game. Uh, you get three points for being at home, and on top of that, they think that the Rams are one point better at a neutral site than the Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals were a good team this year. I can I can see that. The the Bucks Eagles. Um, and what was the line? I lean, on? I lean toward the Eagles getting eight and a half points. Yeah, that that line's a little a little big for me because the the, the Buccaneers they are, lost everybody. Yeah, yeah. They, is Fournette playing? A uh, Fournette, I, I I they said it was only a two or three week thing, so I can see him playing, but I haven't heard any news about it. But they they don't have Brown. Um, they don't, they don't have, have Godwin. Godwin. Yep. Uh, they they have Gronk. I I, I don't know. If, Evan? I don't know if Evans is going to be back or not either. Yeah. We're we're going to probably be talking about that tomorrow with Ken Zalis on the show. All right. Uh, here, but I can't imagine uh, that the Buccaneers missing a lot of those guys. With the way the Eagles have been playing right now, the Eagles have finally realized that Miles Sanders is a good football player. So, right. and they they lead, they they were the number one rushing team in the NFL, which I was surprised to learn. I, I look at that, and you can control the clock if you can run the ball because Tampa Bay's defense hasn't been what we expected it to be. Right. Eight points is a little much. For for me for the for the Buccaneers I can see this being a, a a one score game which is eight points but I mean like three to seven points um, I'd probably take yeah, the Eagles. I would lean I would lean toward Philadelphia in that game the, I like Buffalo I think Buffalo can beat New England I think New England while I won't say they've been exposed I think the the length of the season has played a little bit on uh, Mac Jones uh, the quarterback and and some of their their flaws have been exposed. I don't think they're a very good football team, whereas about four or five weeks ago, a lot of people were starting to talk about them as a serious Super Bowl contender. I think they've, they've shown to be more of a pretender than a contender. I like Kansas City a good bit. Um, I'm tossed on that Cincinnati-Las Vegas game. I think Las Vegas has shown a surprising amount of uh, sort of stick to and persistence, um, the way they finished up this season, and you know, the 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 line the line that's shocking for me is Cowboys only by three over the 49ers. I would have thought they'd be more like a five and a half point favorite. Yeah, I mean the Cowboys playing that means that you think that they're an even team at a neutral site, and I just don't. I, I was surprised to see the Niners even get into the playoffs. Cowboys for me is are, are my dark horse team to win the Super Bowl yeah, the, the, I, this they year. Are with me too, I like the Cowboys. Yeah, I, I, and I think that that offense is so high power, and I think that the reason that they played Dak Prescott and all their starters last year, basically the entire game, even when they didn't have to, was because they want to keep them loose. So they want to keep them warm and have that momentum going into the playoffs. I don't think this is – even if the, the, the spread was five and a half, or I, I would see this being more the, the eight-point spread right. um, from that Bucks game. Well, so, the picks uh, – our picks feature on video, Glenn and I do one each week, will be on tomorrow at about 3.15 tomorrow afternoon. We'll pick all the games. Glenn and I this year, neither one of us had a particularly good year, but we ended up a half a game apart after 51 games. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Glenn had, a half, uh, had 24 wins, 29 losses. I had 23, 28, and 1. Wow! So, well, pr- pretty yeah. close all the way to the finish there, and you yeah. guys have a uh, you have another show tonight to do to do your picks. And folks, you can li- you can watch the, uh, Glenn no, and that's Stan tomorrow at three. Oh, it's tomorrow at three. Yeah. You yeah. guys can watch the, uh, Stan and Glenn pay- make their picks tomorrow at three, and then you can head over to Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover and place your bets at the all new Fo- FanDuel Sportsbook. You can bet on every sport with those self service kiosks, and you can watch all the action from the best seat in the house. Uh, it's time to get a tidbit here on the program. 
Uh, today, tidbit brought to you, of course, by Exxon Mobile. If I can find this guy, a Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Stan, I got a baseball-oriented question for you here, and I figure I could go back a little bit because. You've been following the Orioles for a very long time. The Orioles, as we mentioned earlier in the show, are in the process of changing the dimensions of left field. The first such change to Camden Yards' dimensions since the team moved home plate back seven feet in 2001. With the expanded dimensions that season, Chris Richard and Jay Gibbons tied for the team lead in home runs with 15. It was only the fifth season in Orioles history in which the team home run leader hit fewer than 20 home runs. Which players are responsible for the other four seasons where they led the team in home runs but hit less than 20? My hint for you is that one player did it twice. I have absolutely no idea. It's one of the how many people have done it? Two? Three people three have people? three people have done it a combined four times. God, I can't remember the name of this one player. I'm thinking like around 2003 or four in there. Uh, no, you got to go back to the 70s and back and, and, and earlier. And earlier. How about Tommy Davis? Was he one of them? Tommy Davis was close. I think he one year he led with 21. He okay. was close, but he's not one of them. God, I really can't. I I don't have a good feel for this question. That's that's that's, that's quite all right. Um. Uh, 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 it was within the first four years of the franchise, the first three guys. So we're talking 1954 to 1957. It happened three times, and it happened again in 1974. Clint Courtney? No. Um, really? And this one guy did become a prolific power hitter for the Orioles for a little bit there. Gus Triandos. Gus Triandos. He did it twice, 1955 and 1957. What do you have, 16 and 17? No, in in 55 he led the team with 12, and in 57 he led the team with 19. But then he went on to have a couple 25 homer seasons, a 30 homer season in there. Um, I'm pretty sure he caught Jim Bunning's perfect game or no-hitter on Father's Day. In 1964, Gus Triandos. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, So one more in the 50s and one in the 70s. Yes, sir. God. uh, The one player, I I don't know that I would expect anybody to get, because I've never heard of him, but you've been around longer than I have. Go ahead. Vern Stevens, 1954, led the team with eight home runs. the first year in Baltimore. And then uh, 1974, uh, can I venture a guess? No. All right, Bobby Gritch led the team in 1974 with 19 home runs. Um, Again, that was brought to you by Exxon Mobile, tidbit today. Uh, Now it's time to get a little bit tubular here on the program. Tubular is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy Football. Underdog Fantasy Football, guys, basically what we're going to do here at PressBox, if you go on to Underdog Fantasy Football and you want to place a bet, if you put down $100, you can use the code PRESSBOX and we'll match you up to $100. If you want to put down $87, we'll match you at $87. You can bet 
Look, we have brick and mortar bet- betting here. Uh, you can go down to Live Casino, but if you don't want to make the, the trek down there, just go to Underdog uh, and place your bets playing Underdog Fantasy Football. You have player props, parlays, and traditional fantasy games. They're all available. And like I said, we're going to give you free money up to $100. Stan, if you want to go down and put a $15 bet on Maryland to beat Northwestern tonight, uh, you can do that right on your phone at Underdog Fantasy Football, and we'll match you if you use the code PRESSBOX. That's Underdog Fantasy Football brought to you by Press box tubular today again. Like I just said, you have Maryland taking on Northwestern at nine o'clock tonight. Um, UMBC taking on NJIT at seven o'clock. Uh, some other highlights: uh, St. John's playing UConn at eight at eight thirty. Um, LSU and Florida at seven o'clock. More of a football matchup there, but they they play basketball too. Uh, Duke is going to take on Wake Forest at seven o'clock. Uh, trying to get over that loss recently by Duke there. And then you have Clemson Notre Dame at 7 o'clock on Masson. You have the Magic taking on the Wizards at 7 o'clock on uh, NBC Sports Washington. And on ESPN, the Mavericks and the Knicks at 7.30 and the Nets and the Bulls at 10 o'clock. Uh, plus a little bit of uh, NHL action. You have the Maple Leafs and the Coyotes at 10 and the Canadians and Bruins on TNT at 7. And on TBS, EAEW Dynamite. Uh, a little non-sports action going on tonight. Um, the Price is Right at night at 8 o'clock you know, the, uh, on CBS. Keanu Reeves is going to be on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert at, at, um, uh, at 11.35. Jimmy Kimmel is going to have David Spade. Really beautiful tribute by uh, Jimmy Kimmel the other night for um, Bob Sackett. For, for yeah, Bob Sackett. Very it was touching. Very touching tribute. And by the way, he ma- mentions I've taped this about 13 or 14 times and can yeah. barely get through it. Yeah, it, it just goes to show you the kind of person that people looked at yeah. uh, Bob Saget as being. Um, on Disney Plus tonight, the book of Boba Fett, Chapter 3, is going to be on. And then um, uh, Stuff and Things uh, on TV. It, it, go to your local TV Guide listings if, if you want more information there. Again, Tubular brought to you by Underdog Fantasy Football. Uh, Stan, who did you have on Monday where people can check out your archive show? We had a great chat, Ross Grimsley and I, with Ben McDonald. We normally do these now where they're 30 to 35 minutes. We went about 50 minutes with Ben. It was such a great talk. Uh, and uh, I, I just think the world of Ben McDonald. He's a great, great communicator. And uh, I think the Orioles are blessed to have him up in the broadcast booth. I really mean that. Yeah, it's it's funny because we'll be on the bat around Zach and I, and we'll be talking to a really great guest. We'll be talking with you. This happens with you a lot where we go, we plan to go 15, 20 minutes. We end up going 30 to 35 minutes because right. there's so much and we have so much to say. So that, that happens easily. You guys can check out those shows at, under the radio tab at PressBoxOnline.com if you want to see more Stan the Fan Charles uh, content. I want to thank our sponsors today and our partners, CCBC, Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, ExxonMobil, Great H. Memorabilia, Live Casino Hotel, Underdog Fantasy Football, Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, Window Depot, your local Toyota dealers, and buyatoyota.com, and my bookie. Plus, you have new episodes of Jobbing Out uh, coming up. Actually, there should be one tonight, I believe. I believe Glenn does those on Wednesday nights. Also, a special thank you to Travis Garrison, uh, Britt Giroli, and Bo Smolka for coming on the show today to talk. And an even more special thank you to Stan the Fan Charles for sitting in for Glenn today to help us uh, trudge along here on Glenn Clark Radio. Uh, tonight, go Maryland, go UMBC. Ohio State sucks. Duke sucks, too.